Good evening. Let's call to order the Planning Commission meeting of Monday, August 14th, 2023 at 7 o'clock p.m. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain mute when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time, and a random order of voice vote will be administered by the recording officer for each vote. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the recording officer in person or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak. That's star nine on a telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on the agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the meeting agenda. Please join me in the salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Recording officer, will you please have the roll call? Commissioner Shukla. Present. Commissioner Howell. Present. Commissioner Cerrone. Present. Chair Pine. Present. Commissioner Davis. Present. We have five commissioners present and the, the absences of Vice Chair Iglesias and Commissioner Howard are excused. Thank you. Uh, that brings us to oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the Planning Commission on topics that are not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the public hearings general business section of the agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum of up to three minutes per speaker. As a reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on a telephone if you wish to address the Planning Commission. I will call members of the public participating in person first, then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the time will be displayed on the screen. Uh, it, I don't have any cards for oral communications. Is anyone interested in speaking under oral communications before we hear from remote speakers? Uh, yeah, uh, and if, yeah, if you if you want to speak under oral communications, and that's for non-agenda items. So if you're speaking to the uh, Fremont Village Center, this is not the time to do it. But if you want to speak to anything else about the Planning Commission, this is the time to do it. Okay, seeing nobody in person. Uh, No worries. Uh, see, okay, so I don't have anybody for in-person oral communications. I don't think so. Uh, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak under oral communications? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. I will go ahead and close oral communications, and I will go ahead and open public comment on consent calendar items. 
Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, use the raise hand feature now, or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call upon members of the public participating in person first, and then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone while it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the time will be displayed on the screen. Uh, does I have... Were those on consent items or on item two? These were for oral communications. Uh, I. Here's your answer, Chair. Have <laughs> it your way. Okay, I will take the consent calendar now and then I will reopen oral communications. I think that's the most reasonable way to do this. Um, I will. Uh, so I don't have any speakers under oral under the consent calendar. Uh, so recording officer, do I have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. Uh, I will now ask for a motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Howe. I move the consent calendar. I mean, the minutes is written. Thank you. I second it. Uh, Commissioner Shukla seconds. Uh, recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner Davis. Yes. Chair Pine? Yes. Commissioner Howe? Yes. Commissioner Cerrone? Yes. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. The motion passes with five yeses and Vice Chair Iglesias and Commissioner Howard absent. Thank you. I will now reopen oral communications. Uh, speakers will have uh, three minutes to speak under oral communications. This is for items not on tonight's agenda. Uh, first up is Brian Lombard. For item two. Okay. We will get you then. Uh, next up is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a little hard time reading your handwriting, but uh, I believe it's you. <laughs> For the project, uh, uh, could you raise the microphone, please? Yeah. Yeah. I have a comment about the, the project regarding the North fence construction uh that's under item two uh i that so that is a mat that is on the agenda that's item two so i will mark you down for item two and we will take you and i'll take your comment then i will close oral reclose oral communications and that brings us to public hearings general business our one our First item tonight is item number two, 23-0629, uh, proposed project related applications on a 6.13 acre site. Uh, use permit to allow a mixed-use development, including 114 condominium units and 35,393 square feet office space within 16 two- to three-story buildings, and a tentative map to create 114 condominium units and a 1.2-acre lot for an office development. Location is 877 West Fremont Avenue. Is there a staff report? Yes, we do have a staff report. Good evening, Planning Commissioners. My name is Astha Vashish. I'm Project Planner for this application at 877 West Fremont. Before we proceed to the presentation, I just wanted to point out a few minor corrections to our staff report and attachment four. 
So for the staff report page eight of 12, it would be under the, it would be under the density bonus waivers and incentive. So um, it says here that the applicant proposes 20 compact spaces out of 137 uncovered spaces. So it should be corrected to 13 spaces and not 20. And that would be 9% of the unassigned spaces. Um, next, we uh, want to make a correction. It's a minor correction to um, attachment four, page nine of 47. So it's under BP 17, where we say that the landscape plan shall including street trees. So instead of including, we'll replace it with include. Um, and then for BP 26 um, condition, which is on page 11 of 47, we want to um, up correct the heading. So it should be parking lot strip striping and not stripping. So it should be striping. So take out extra P there. <laughs> Thank you. So let's move on to the presentation. Let's move on to the first slide. Okay, great. So this uh, subject site, it's located on the northeast corner of West Fremont Avenue and South Mary Avenue. It's around 6.13 acre in size, and it's currently developed with eight one-story medical office buildings. And this um, site, the office park is called Foothill Medical Dental Center. Now, as part of this application, the applicant is proposing to construct 114 residential units. These will be townhomes. These will be one, two, and three bedroom units with the average size of around 1,400 square feet in living area. And they're also proposing a three-story building with around 35,000 square feet office space. Now, the project, it requires a use permit to allow this construction and also allow the on and off-site improvements they're proposing to the site. The project would also require a tentative map to create a 1.2 acre lot for the office and also create residential condominiums. Next, please. So looking at the neighborhood, so this neighborhood is pretty diverse in terms of both land uses as well as intensities. Uh, so if we look here, so we can see this corner lot in the red color. And to the north of that are one-story Eichler-style single-family homes. To the right-hand side are one to two-story condominium, residential condominium units. And across the streets are standalone shopping centers and commercial buildings. We can also see here that uh, these all sites, the corner lots, they are part of village center number one. And we'll talk about a little bit more about that in the next slide. But in total, in across the city, we have seven identified village center sites, and this is part of village center number one. Next, please. So back in 2017, City Council adopted land use and transportation element update, as part of which some of the sites across the city, they were identified as village center sites, and they were given the designation of village mixed use. Now, what it really means is that it was for the redevelopment of older shopping centers and office parks with mixed-use development. The intent really was to have some sort of residential diversity and close-in services for existing neighborhoods. Now, these uh, places are also envisioned to have some sort of community gathering places. Uh, we currently also have a master plan that is in the pipeline for all these village center sites. And um, that master plan will have objective standards that will recognize and address the unique characteristics of each of those sites. Um, it's still in the pipeline, so it is not, this project is not really subject to that master plan, uh, but it will guide future developments um, across these village center sites. 
Now the zoning uh, district for this particular site is office. So it's office zoning district. So we applied the office zoning district standards for the residential use, sorry, for the office use. And for the residential, we applied R3 standards because that's corresponding to what general plan envisions the density to be on the site. So R3 is our medium density residential. It allows for density between 15 dwelling units to 24 dwelling units. And for village mixed use, we envision the density to be around 18 dwelling units per acre. Now, general plan also have some standards for these village mixed use land use designation, which includes the density, which is 18 dwelling units per acre. We also, um, you know, have uh, commercial floor area standards. So it should be between 10% to 25% of the lot area. And the maximum allowed number of stories would be four. Um, and this proposed project, it's well within um, the standards. It's meeting all the standard. The proposed density is 8.6 dwelling units per acre. And the commercial FAR is 13.3%, and they're proposing up to three-story buildings. Next, please. So looking at the site layout, so currently this site can be accessible from a driveway, which is along South Mary Avenue. Now, the proposed layout will have uh, two driveways, one on each frontage, and um, which will allow vehicular access to the site. They're proposing a three-story office building, which will be at the corner and which will really help in defining the street intersection. The office building also step, steps back a little bit and the primary entrance opens to the corner and it opens to an open area, which they're referring it as um, corner plaza, as we can see here on the corner. Um, for the residential building, there are in total of 15 residential buildings, and two are located along West Fremont Avenue. One is located along South Mary Avenue. There are six others that are next to the North property line, uh, which is next to the single family homes. And then towards the eastern side, we have two other residential buildings that will be next to the condominium development. Um, so all these buildings, we can see they it steps down to two-story level along the north and east property line. And the intent really was to allow a gradual transition from the post three-story to adjoining one-story and two-story structures on the neighboring property. Now, looking at the open areas, so there are a total of four open areas across this site, the common usable open areas. So as we discussed before, there's a corner plaza. There's also a gathering space, which is between office and residential building. And both these spaces are envisioned to be community gathering spaces. So they will be accessible to public. And we have also recommended a condition of approval requiring them to have a public access easement. Now, there is also a larger central open space. It's around 9,000 square feet in area. Now, this would be for the residents and also the visitors of the site. And it will be managed by the homeowner association. And it also has a 500, roughly 500 square feet recreation building that would be for the future residents. We also have a smaller open space called Dog Run. It's um, next to the east property line. Now, so overall, uh, the project is exceeding the usable open space requirement and also the landscaping requirement. Additionally, each of these units will also have their private usable open space, which will be provided by balconies uh, on the upper floor levels. Um, now, looking at the parking, so the office space requires 107 parking spaces, and these spaces are provided on the within the parking lot, which is on the north of the office. 
And then there are also other unassigned spaces that are dispersed across this site. Now, there are also 20 unassigned spaces that will be shared between residential and office uh, users. And each of these um, uh, residential units will have one or two car garage that are attached to the units. There are 99 units with two car garages, and then there are 15 units with one car garages. So overall, they are exceeding the parking requirement. Um, now, uh, looking at the trash, so yeah. So for the office building, it will be served by a central trash enclosure, which is to the north, which is like right next to where the driveway access is. So they'll be served by that. For the residential units which are north of that central driveway, which is accessible from Mary Avenue. So all those seven buildings that are next to the north, north property line, they'll be served by two central uh, solid waste and recycling trash enclosures. For the units that are to the south of that um, drive aisle, these will have individual cart service. And the applicants have worked closely with environmental service department and department of public uh, works to um, ensure that you know, this is, it is in compliance with the guideline and it meets the circulation requirement for trash collection. Next, please. So this is an aerial view, which basically shows the same thing you know, in a 3D view. So we can see the corner plaza. We can see how the office building, it steps back a little bit and has its primary entrance open to the corner plaza. We can see the parking area on the north side of office, the central open space, the residential buildings along South Mary and also Fremont Avenue. So overall, you know, just a general layout. Um, next, please. So looking at the office building, we can categorize this architecture style as contemporary. So it is, um, you know, it uses like simple rectilinear forms and modern details. And it's using a combination of wood siding, stucco with score lines, glazing, stone veneer, and aluminum metal composite canopy to articulate the facade. One of the key features of this building is um, the deck on the second floor level, which is along South Mary Avenue. Next, please. Here's another view. It's looking from the parking lot. Here again, we can see similar details like the uh, you know articulation of facades, all these materials, also the deck, which is on the second floor level. Next, please. Next slide. Thank you. So this is a view. This is looking into the recreation building and the central open space. Uh, and this open space will be for the future residents. Next. Thank you. So this is uh, looking into the residential building from the central drive aisle. So these are the buildings that will be next to the north property line. And uh, we'll talk more about the architecture in the next few slides. Next, please. This is view from South Mary Avenue. Here we can see the residential building. And we can also see the individual entries that open directly into the street and the walkways that will connect these units directly to the sidewalk. We can also see the office building in the backdrop with two second floor deck and also the driveway approach from South Mary Avenue. Next, please. Here's another view. So here again, we see the residential buildings uh, with you know, individual entries directly open, opening up to the street and the office building. You can also see that these um, residential buildings have uh, glass door panels for the entries. Next, please. 
So talking about the architecture, so this is the front elevation of the buildings that are, you know, it's um, for the buildings that are next to the north property line. Um, so here we can see that, you know, the architecture style, again, it's a kind of contemporary or modern ranch. It utilizes a mix of, again, you know, rectilinear forms and hip roofs with composition roof tile. We have a mix of different material, including stone veneers and horizontal siding, metal railing for the balconies and um, uh, you know, entries are well-defined. They have also worked on articulating the facade by using a combination of balconies, projections, and all these material application. Here we can see that the building steps down to two-story level next to the north property line. Next, please. Uh, here again, we can see similar details. We can see that the windows are single hung with, you know, dark bronze uh, frame and a similar application of uh, material. And this is the elevation that is going to face the central drive aisle from uh, South Mary Avenue. Next, please. So this is uh, their rear elevation. So for these units that are along the north property line, they're like back-to-back -back units. And what it means is they have garage entries on both the sides. So it's pretty similar to their front elevation. Next, please. And this is the facade that will face the single family homes. So applicant has worked on minimizing the number and size of uh, windows along the upper floor level to minimize privacy impact. In addition, they are also proposing a 20 to 24 feet wide landscape buffer along north and east property lines. And it would have um, evergreen trees that can grow up to the height of 30 to 39 feet. Next, please. And here is the front elevation for buildings along Fremont Avenue. They have pretty similar details and architecture, but the applicant is proposing six different color scheme to allow for some visual diversity across the site. Um, and yeah, and those schemes are mostly in the shades of beige and gray and whites. Next, please. And this is the uh, frontage that would be next to the driveway approach from Fremont Avenue. Here again, we can see articulation of the facade and application of different materials and projections. Next, please. And uh, this is the rear elevation. So it's actually the interior elevation for these buildings. And here we can see for these units, they have tandem garages. So that's why the garage doors are narrower here. Next, please. And this is the other side elevation. It's pretty similar to the one which is next to the driveway. Um, so overall, we find that the proposed architecture style, um, you know, and the design, it's it's overall, it's well-designed and it's um, consistent with the applicable objective citywide design guidelines. We also find the proposed design to be generally compatible with the neighborhood corrector and scale. Um, next, please. So this project is subject to a couple of housing legislations. So first is California Density Bonus Law. Now this bonus law, the intent really is to incentivize housing projects that provide at least 10% or more of the units to be affordable. In this case, the applicants are proposing 12.5% of the units to be affordable, which is consistent with our below market rate housing uh, requirement. Um, and with this bonus law, they are allowed some increased density. They are allowed up to eight additional units, and they're proposing three additional units over the base density of 18 dwelling units per acre. They also requested an incentive. So in incentive is most, more, 
it's it's basically about the cost reduction and they requested an incentive to request relief from city's request to upgrade the traffic signals at south mary and fremont avenue um subsequent to the request we evaluated it and we found that um, you know this requirement for traffic signal upgrade was not objective it comes from the sunnyville uh, vision zero plan which identifies street improvement but it's not an objective standard so therefore they don't need that incentive next um, they are entitled to unlimited number of waivers and waivers are related to the site constraints that basically prevent them from constructing the uh, allowed number of units. So in this case, they are requesting seven waivers, and we'll talk about that in the next slide. They are also um, subject to um, the reduced parking ratio. So reduced parking ratio for the density bonus law is one space for one bedroom unit, one and a half space for two or three bedroom unit, and two spaces for four or more bedrooms. Now, they are also subject to the Housing Accountability Act. So basically, it means they, are, they can only be subject to objective standards. Now, objective standards are the ones that have no personal or subjective judgment. Finally, they are also using Senate Bill 330. So um, they uh, applied for an SB 330 preliminary application on June 15, 2021, which basically locks them to all the fees, ordinance, policies, and standards that were in effect at that time. So for example, they are subject to 12.5% BMR requirement and not 15%, which was adopted in August 2021. Similarly, they are not subject to the citywide objective design standards that we recently adopted or the safety and noise element, which was recently adopted. So next, please. Yeah, we'll look at the waivers now. So they are requesting a total of seven waivers. The first waiver is from the parking lot shading. So what our code says is that we need at least 50% shading here and they're proposing 37%. We are recommending a condition of approval, uh, recommending them to work on increasing the parking lot shading. And this may be achieved by looking at opportunities to add more trees within the parking lot or select larger species. And the intent really is to minimize the heat island effect on site. Um, Next, uh, they are requesting waiver from the office building height. Now, for the office building, we applied the office zoning standards that allow for a maximum 30 feet height. Now, they are using a green building program incentive to allow additional 10 feet height. And uh, they um, are requesting the incentive by proposing a lead gold building and all electric building. So with the incentive, they are allowed maximum 40 feet high. They're requesting additional seven and a half feet. Now, uh, they are also requesting um, waiver from the front setback requirement and distance between the buildings uh, for the uh, for the units that are north of the central drive They are also requesting waiver from the distance of individual dwelling units to trash enclosure. Our maximum requirement is 150 feet. And they have a total of 54 units there. Out of that 54, I think around 30 units exceed that requirement. So they're requesting a waiver from, from that requirement. Uh, the other waiver they are requesting is to allow compact spaces. Now, compact spaces are prohibited for non-residential as well as mixed-use uh, you know, uh, developments. And they're proposing 13 spaces out of total 137 spaces or 13 spaces out of the 20 unassigned shared parking spaces between residential and non-residential. 
Uh, finally, they are also requesting a waiver from the 15 feet landscape frontage requirement, which is applicable to non-single family homes. So overall, um, you know, we find the requested waivers to be reasonable. As we mentioned before, we are requesting to we are requesting a condition of approval to improve on the parking lot shading. Next, please. So the CEQA review, it was done by the city's uh, third party environmental consultant and they prepared a checklist. Uh, based on that, uh, they found that the project qualifies as an infill development and the project impacts are within those which were evaluated in land use and transportation element environmental impact report, which was adopted by city council in 2017. Uh, the project is also subject to land use and transportation element mitigation measures to so some of these measures, and we have included that in attachment four. Next, please. So one of the things we looked at while we were reviewing the project was grading. So currently, this site has a lower grade level compared to the adjoining street and the neighboring properties. So the highest point right now is um, near the street corner. And from there, the site slopes down to four and a half feet. Um, and the lowest point is close to the northeast side of the property. Now, this creates a potential risk for surface flows to drain into neighboring properties. And as part of the redevelopment, the applicant is proposing to grade up the site. The maximum grade up level would be around five feet, and the highest point is around the north and northeast side. And um, the applicant says that this was done to have an improved sewer design and also stormwater management. Their grading plan was evaluated by uh, Building Safety Division and also Department of Public Works uh, to ensure that it was in compliance with our requirements. Next, please. Another big concern, you know, and we looked at it very closely was the privacy impact. So there were concerns about the privacy impact of this project, especially along the north and east property lines. Um, and the applicant worked closely with us and uh, with the neighbors to address uh, some of the concerns. So uh, as we discussed before, they are stepping down the end units to be two-storied and the overall height of these units would be around 25 feet. Um, and uh, they're also they also worked on minimizing the size and also the number of uh, upper story windows. Uh, they're proposing opaque glass for the staircase window, and they're also proposing high sill level, which will be at least five feet level. They're also proposing a 20 to 24 feet landscape buffer in between with the evergreen screen trees that will further help in minimizing these impacts. Uh, Along the north property line, so north property line is actually the side property line. They're required a minimum setback of 12 feet for a three-story building, and they're proposing an increased setback of 20 feet to further minimize the privacy impact. Additionally, they are also uh, proposing privacy uh, fence, and we'll talk about that in the next slide. Thank you. Next slide, please. So finally, we also talked, looked into the fences and neighboring trees. Um, so the applicant is proposing to replace the fence on the north and east property line. They are proposing an eight feet tall fence over the retaining wall. Now the height of the retaining wall is going to vary depending on the grade level of the site. So it would be between one and a half to roughly four and a half feet. 
Um, so we are recommending a condition of approval requiring them to have a two feet tall lattice on the top of the fence. So it will be including the eight feet height. So it would be like six feet fence, solid fence and lattice on the top. It's consistent with our citywide guidelines and the intent really is to soften the visual appearance of a solid wall. Um, next, there were concerns about the potential impact of this fence and retaining wall construction and also the grading on the neighboring trees, especially along the north property line. Um, the applicant had this, their certified arborist review the impacts and they provided us with a report. And the report suggested that the uh, construction would not have, it would have minimal impact on the neighboring trees. They also included some recommendation to further minimize the impacts. Um, to verify uh, the, the findings, we had a site visit in May, which included the city arborist um, and applicants arborist and planning staff. And uh, based on the staff report, the city arborist verified um, and agreed with the findings of the certified arborist report and the recommendations. We have also added a condition of approval requiring the applicant to have their certified arborist uh, review the fence and retaining wall construction closely and also ensure that they're implementing the recommendations that they provided in the report to further minimize you know, any potential impact on the neighboring trees. Next, please. So in conclusion, the project, it furthers general plans goals. It is consistent with the village mixed use standards and vision. They are proposing uh, around 7,500 square feet of community, um, you know, open space that will be accessible to public and which will serve as community gathering space. They have also worked closely with staff in minimizing potential impacts on the neighboring properties. Um, the project is also consistent with the applicable citywide design guidelines. Their requested waivers are reasonable and it's within the framework of the housing legislation. And we are uh, recommending approval of this project. We are recommending alternative one, which is to make the findings to approve the California Environmental Quality Act determination and also approve the use permit and tentative map subject to the conditions of approval in attachment four. Thank you for your time. That's that concludes staff's presentation. Thank you for that very thorough report and presentation. Uh, as a reminder to my colleagues, please use the raise hand feature to indicate that you wish to speak. Uh, first up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you for the very uh, thorough presentation. Um, uh, I want to mention that I have previously met with the applicant with a number of residents and at least one current uh, tenant of the uh, medical center. Uh, so I have a few questions for staff. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, we frequently ask this now, but uh, under SB 330 and current state law, um, can we be clear on what we can actually change? For example, it looks like there are unlimited waivers available. Uh, that's a pretty broad, uh, uh, you know, situation there. Um, so uh, I'd like to understand what what we can actually change uh, under SB three thirty, so we don't spend a lot of time on things that we have really no control over at all. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, good evening, commissioners. Um, we're pretty limited under SB 330. Um, so what they've staffs worked with the applicant and the applicants worked with this um, neighborhood quite a bit to get to the site design to the best it can be. Um, so they comply with the standards and design guidelines that we had in place at the time they had received their preliminary application. Um, and so the rest of the waivers and items are ones that they can ask for. So at this point, we can't really ask them to change them at that point. And we can't apply anything that's not objective to this project at this point. Uh, would it be accurate to say that any requirement that would uh, result in a reduction in housing units uh, must be waived by the city? That's, uh, that's how they Yes. Do. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and and ju just as an example, the uh, uh, one of the waivers, the recycling and solid waste disposal for uh, some 20 units or something is as much as 325 feet away, uh, which is like a football field where 150 feet is required. Um, so maybe the only way to deal with that would be to reduce the size or even get rid of maybe one of the two-story units i don't know I'm not trying to design it but but uh that's that's why that waiver is accepted i guess because there's no way to add another location without reducing the number of units is that the idea yeah i think yeah that is kind of accurate yeah it is um so uh, uh, also on some of the, uh, so we have the city reach codes, for example, uh, all electric and things like that. Uh, but I, I got the impression that, that meeting some of those requirements, not bonus requirements, but just some of the requirements, uh, they, the developers get a uh, density bonus. Just for so, so we have a green building program and it allows for some incentives. So in this case, they're using one of the incentive and the incentive is 10 feet additional height for the office building. And it can be achieved if they provided a lead goal level building with all electric. And that's what they're doing. Um, okay, and, and again, on uh, the waivers, um, you know, the, like the distance between buildings, a requirement of 29 feet, going to 13.7 feet, um, could it be five feet? Yeah, it would still need to meet the fire and building code. So yeah, there would be some minimum distance, but generally we, we were okay with that requirement, you know, because of the site layout, it is not always, you know, possible to have that distance, 26 feet. Okay, I mean, it makes me wonder if if thirteen point seven is okay. Why do we have a twenty nine foot requirement? But um, and similarly, they're requesting a seven point five, seven point seven uh, foot um, setback from both on Fremont and Mary. Is this from the? What is this from? To to what? To what is it from? The sidewalk to the the wall of the building or the, yeah. or the balcony? So it is, yeah, behind the sidewalk to the supporting wall or column. It's always measured from the supporting wall or column. So it's maybe 
five or six feet from the balcony? Um, from the balcony, I'll I'll have to double check and get back to you. I'm not exactly sure. But the balcony sure, yeah. does extend. Yeah, yeah balconies. Um, and uh, on the TDM strategy, uh, this is probably a more general question for village centers, but this project gets four points from proximity to the shopping and retail at the other corners. Uh, are these points based on when the project is permitted? And for example, if the next developer decides to remove all the retail and put in townhouses, for example, um, what happens to those points? It, it just, it's just, it's whatever's in effect at the time the permit is granted. And then if the retail is all removed later, yeah, it is. It is basically on that time at the building permit stages when we ask them to provide the final TDM plans. Okay, that's. Uh, I have some questions for the uh, applicant, but uh, Thank that's you. all I have for now. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for your presentation. Commissioner Cerrone asked the majority of them, but I have a couple pointed ones. Can the planning commission in the majority vote change the setback on the north or the or the uh, east side? Um, so they are already exceeding the minimum setback requirement. So the minimum setback on the north property side is 12 feet for three-story building, and they're proposing 20 feet. And on the east side, it's 20 feet, and I think they are a little more over that. So they're already exceeding that requirement, and it is an objective standard that they're meeting. It is an objective one, yeah. and it exceeds it on both of the yeah. sides where residential abuts it. Right. Um, is next to the project. Um, so I'm sorry. The north and the and yeah, yeah, yeah. So the north is, is your yeah, yeah. So the north is our side property line, and the east is our rear property line. So they are exceeding the standards, like the minimum setbacks for both these sides. In the conditions of approval, will those two-story um, townhouses that are next to those property lines where residential is? And those windows, will that be built in there so that it's required in the future? For example, if I bought one, I could take the opaque window out. Is that allowed? Um, so this is part, this will be part of our approved plan set and they have to be in conformance with that. So in the future, if they're going to make any change, they'll have to come back to um, to, to us to get the review. So to if there's a window the replacement, staff. it would need to be reviewed by us because it is part of the approval set. And in the building permit drawings, they have to be substantially in conformance with what was approved. So it would be a staff decision but it would have to be an application right. to change yeah. the windows right. that are opaque now or in the plan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. And thanks for my commissioner members. You asked a lot of questions about the residences. So I'm going to uh, want to find out about some of the questions for office. So they got uh, 10 feet extra. Um, I mean, are they adding the extra floor for that? Uh, no, they are not adding any additional floors. Uh, they are 
allowed a maximum of four stories within the village mixed use. So that's what it says. It's maximum four stories. Uh, in the office zoning district, they are allowed two fee, uh, two stories, but they're proposing three. But because this project also has village mixed use designation, so it's generally in conformance with the number of stories as well. So they are allowed, yeah, they are doing three stories, but you know, it's it's over 40 feet because I think the plate height for each of these um, is is taller. Okay, I just I, I just asked this question because they look so separate. The right. residential looks like the village center and an office looks completely out of place. But that's why I just asked that question. The second one is that they counted um, 10 points. I mean, uh, for the green point checklist, they had this thing that, they are going to have a bike repair shop. So is that bike repair shop is in the office building and are they for the neighbors? Anybody can go and is it open? Who will operate it? Uh, I think the intent is for the on-site users. It's mostly for that, but I think yeah, the applicants can also specifically answer that question. We go into that level of details typically at the building permit stage because they have to provide us with the final TDM plan and they have to show what exactly measures they are doing to achieve those TDM uh, but, requirements. But that time, if they've got the gold standard, gold rating, mm -hmm. then if those standards are not met, then what happens? They they are required to meet that standards because they are being granted that additional 10 feet only because they're meeting those standards. So they will still be required to achieve 75 points with the lead gold. Okay. And uh, one, I mean, I'll have some questions for applicants, but I have one more question about, um, I know it's a detail, but there was a condition of ownings. And I was wondering that I didn't see any fabric ownings um, that needs to be maintained uh, right. every five years. And I mean, it's like, uh, I generally don't see ownings in yeah. residences nowadays, but maybe they are proposing it. Uh, no, it's it's like a generic condition. Like if they are proposing it, then it's there, but it's it's a pretty generic condition that we typically include for, you know, mixed use developments or non-residential projects, but yes. uh, they're not proposing any awnings. They're not proposing. And um, I know that I also, uh, so you said that they worked with public works to change the grading. Um, so the water, otherwise the water would have been gone into the flooding to the residential on the northeast. So, so currently that's the condition, like their grade level is lower. Um, you know, it's, it's lower compared to the neighboring properties and streets. So that is the situation right now that the surface overflow may be there and, you know, it may penetrate into the neighboring properties. Uh, for the grading, yeah, the building safety and Department of Public Works, they closely reviewed it and they agreed with it. But I think, yeah, the applicant's team may be able to, you know, clarify it in further detail and maybe the civil engineer can talk about it further. Has it flooded before? Like, has it uh, before these properties there for a long time? Um, I kind of remember they, they talked about something, but I think the applicant can verify. Okay. Yeah, yeah because, and I uh, will, I'll ask. Uh, some questions to applicants. And, but thank, thank you, you for the presentation. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Davis. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I just got back from vacation. A little jumbled here. 
Uh, I'm a little bit confused about the interaction between the village center designation and then the two zonings that we're applying. It seems that they they don't perfectly align with each other. Um, I, I'm not understanding uh, why a waiver is needed when it complies with the um, the village center height requirements or floor requirements. Um, so if, if you could clarify that, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. So village mixed use um, designation, it has some standards. It does have standards about the number of stories, but not specifically about the height. So we did apply the zoning standards, you know, office zoning standards for the office building and then R3 zoning standards for the residential building. And R3 standards were applied because, you know, the proposed zoning is eight dwelling units per acre and R3 allows a density range of 15 to 24. So that was most relevant and applicable to this um, particular development. Um, so in this case, because we didn't have a defined standard for the maximum height, that's why they were required to request a waiver. Although, you know, that's why we think it is reasonable request because they are generally still in compliance with the village mixed use site. So it seems that if we were to reject that waiver somehow, then we would be exposing the city to liability, perhaps, or at least... Uh, yes, that would be true. Okay, thank you. Um, and if I understand correctly, we're going to have to replot. Uh, uh, so this will become two separate um, lots for lack of a better term. Well, it's one right now. Right. So they will be separate lots, but the way it's designed, they won't function independently because they right. have a common access. So there's no way that the office development or the lot can independently function. So it's still, you know, an integrated site. And so the HOA will have to include the commercial, uh, the office owner as well? Um, I think I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that, but the HOA would be looking at the parking because there are, will be parking spaces that will be shared between the office and residential users. For example, those all unassigned spaces for the office in the parking memo that we had from the applicant, it says that it will be available to public, like the residents after the peak hours. So I, I to understand there will be some integration between the, those two, like coordination that's required. Okay, thank you. Um, I was slightly confused about the park. I thought I saw something written that said that the park would be private, but did you say that it would actually be accessible to the public? No. So, so initially, you know, in the previous, um, uh, you know, the versions they were working on, initially they were proposing a public park. Mm -hmm. but they have changed uh, that since. And so this one is going to be a private park. It's only going to be for the residents and the visitors on site. It will be managed by the homeowner association, but the two small pockets, like the corner plaza and the gathering space, okay. those total are around 7,500 square feet. So both those spaces will be available to the public. And that's why we are recommending that we add a public access easement to both those areas. So it stays public. Okay. And then talking about the heat island on the parking, um, have we talked about reflective materials or um, perhaps a different surface color to ameliorate that a little bit? Um, no, we, we don't have um, you know any specific 
um, specific guidelines in our citywide guidelines, like the ones that were that they were subject to. Mm -hmm. So they're not subject to the recent one, but the previous one. So we didn't have any specific guidelines about the materials or reflective colors or something like that. And I, I understand the seven foot, seven inch setback. Mm -hmm. um, do we know how, how wide the sidewalks are there? Um, or are, I, are they going to change? I think, yeah, they are going to widen the sidewalk. So that's why we are also doing um, a dedication. So that's why if we look at the gross lot area and net lot area, there is a little bit difference. I think they're losing like 0 0.02 acre side because we are asking for the expansion of the sidewalk. I think it's 10 feet wide sidewalk, but I think the applicants can also confirm what exactly the height is. That's that's correct. It is 10 feet uh, with a four foot tree well, six okay. foot wide sidewalk. Okay, that's much better than what's there right now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, um, have we done any analysis on the privacy impacts on the sight lines uh, with the difference in elevations and just looking at the geometry of it and so on? Um, it seems like the changes that have been made uh, will make um, views into the into the neighbors' houses impossible. Have have we looked at that in any way? Uh, like looked at the geometry of this? Um, so I think not a like a specific analysis, but over the course of this project, they did made several changes. So initially, um, along the north property line, I think they were as close as twelve feet or something. So they were at the bare minimum. So they stepped back, mm -hmm. and uh, they also worked on uh, having two-story end units. Then they also worked on the landscape buffer in between. Uh, I think they have also worked on the air conditioning units there to minimize the noise impacts. So they did work on you know several things, but not exactly. We we didn't exactly had an analysis. Is I appreciate the concessions and how they've worked with the neighbors um, mm -hmm. greatly. I actually live in the exact style of house that all the neighbors have. Um, I It seems, though, that by making these changes, um, they're saying that they the waivers are needed because the site requires it, but they've made concessions. Uh, they've made concessions to lower the density at certain parts and so on. So it seems like we're not being entirely consistent then. They could have gone taller um, and gotten more shading in the parking, but instead, but they've made choices is, is what I'm saying. And um, I don't know if we're squaring the circle per se. Uh, that's that's more of a comment. That's not really a question. Uh, and I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I had a couple questions. Uh, first off, uh, we discussed these. I mentioned that there was originally a request for a signal modification at Mary and Fremont in the Vision Zero plan. And I looked through the Vision Zero plan kind of quickly earlier, but I wasn't really sure what was what was under discussion. I noticed the area was under, I want to say it was priority project 10, but I wasn't entirely sure what specifically would have been asked for at this site. So could we so could we just and I, I know this isn't being requested, but could we get a little specifics on more specific on what that would have been? Yeah, so Vision Zero plan, and I can I can look up the document. I know that it does have a specific, you know, it specifically talks about this signal. So that, you know, that Vision Zero plan about this signal, they have a couple of recommendations to improve the general, you know, the safety on that uh, signal. 
and uh, improving the signal was part of those wider goals. And when they uh, requested a waiver, we reevaluated their request and we found that this wasn't really an objective standard. So that's why we couldn't apply it. But this was part of, you know, a couple of recommendations that we had to overall improve that intersection. Okay, so uh, my follow-up to that is, is there still a pathway to upgrading the signal at some point? And I know this might actually be a question for public works, but uh, like basically is this foreclosing, basically is I like, and I, I like, because I'm just thinking about, and this is very much a different context that I'm thinking of. So I don't know whether I'm just completely barking up the wrong tree, but like, I know that like in various specific plans around the city, we've had like pedestrian paths and bike paths and things that are kind of get developed piecemeal. And if some, a developer were to come in basically say, no, we're not doing this and you can't make us do this, then like those things would essentially never happen. Or if they did happen, it would be after the site further redeveloped, which could be decades upon decades down the line. So now this isn't obviously the same thing, but so I was wondering if, if this is foreclosing the possibility of getting the signal made more bike and pedestrian friendly at a later date or whether there's still a good pathway forward for doing that. Yeah, it, it's still um, planned. It, it's in the roadway safety plan and also the Vision Zero plan. It's just the the project is not responsible for doing it. They have to pay their fair share for the transportation impact fee. But um, so so yeah, it is planned for for future improvements. But it's just for this particular project, they're not required to. Okay, I I just wanted to make sure it's still going to get done at some point. <laughs> yes, eventually. Yeah. Okay, and my. Last question back to kind of back to the SB330 thing is just to clarify, we have, because I'm pretty sure we've done this in the past, uh, we can at least theoretically impose conditions of approval if the applicant says, yes, those are fine, you, if the applicant agrees, basically. So if like the, if I'm, if like, because if, if, like, if, if I were to say, say, dear applicant, would you accept a condition of approval to do X, Y, Z, and the applicant were to say, yes, then we could approve it. Is that correct? You yes. would have to make the, oh, sorry. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, if the applicant does agree to it, then yes, uh, that would be fine. It wouldn't be a basis for approval or denial for the planning commission. You'd still have to um, base it on the findings that staff provided. Yes, I'm just... I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, that was what I had. Uh, next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. Sorry. I just suddenly, I remembered something I wanted to ask you. Um, let's say if we, if um, we say we don't approve this project, what is, is there something called building remedy or like builder's remedy or what is that? Can you a little bit tell me? Like, what can they do? And they can still, they can get to build what they want to build. Um, you know, I th I think I'll, we need feedback from Rebecca, but I think our builder's remedy is more when we don't have, you know, um, it's basically a gap between the housing. If, if the city hasn't adopted, um, you know, the housing element 
And um, there are certain findings we make, and I kind of, you know, I'm forgetting it on top of my head. But in that case, they um, they can apply for building remedy, um, you know, uh, but not in this case. So I don't think that's the case here. Um, but builder's remedy. Well, one of the requirements for a builder's remedy project would be, I believe it has to be 20% affordable. So I don't know if they would want to utilize that. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you. I know even though we, they worked with some residents and, you know, they've been doing all the things, but I'm just curious that what can happen if, um, I mean, we are supposed to approve this project because we need housing, etc. But um, what are the things they can go different routes or they can come back or they can be aggressive, you know? I think they can certainly appeal uh, the decision to the city council to start with. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Next up, uh, the chair would actually just like to take the opportunity to note that the housing out that the builder's remedy is also a function of of, of certification and approval of the housing element. And I have many thoughts on how the city is is doing on that, but I don't think this is the appropriate time to share those thoughts. Uh, so. Uh, next up is Commissioner Davis. Thank you, Chair. Um, since the builder's remedy came up, I would just like to ask our, our legal representative, um, if they were to withdraw the application, uh, rejigger it with 20%, with 20% inclusion and reapply since we are in the builder's remedy, if they were to do this before we had a, um, a certified plan, um, would they be able to do that? Uh, yes, potentially they could, I believe. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that is all the questions I had. So I am going to go ahead and open the public hearing on this item. Uh, members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, if you have not already, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, use the raise hand feature now, or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. Uh, I will call upon members of the public participating in person first, and then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute when it is their turn to address the planning commission. Chair Pine, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, we didn't have the applicant's presentation yet. I'm, oh, the chair okay. is aware of that. The chair was about to announce the applicant All right. part of sorry, the, <laughs> the chair will note that the the applicant presentation is part the applicant is a member of the public and does have to speak during the pub formal public hearing however the applicant is provided with 10 minutes at the beginning of the public hearing to address the planning commission along with five minutes at the end of the public hearing is there an applicant presentation my slides, please. Thank you. So uh, good evening. Um, thank you, Ashta, for that presentation. Uh, good evening, commissioners. My name is Katia Kamangar with Kamangar Consulting. I represent the property owners and the applicants. Um, I'm here this evening with the talented consultant team of ours and the property owners who've owned this land since 1977. Um, and since Ashta did a great job, super thorough on the presentation, I'm going to focus on four things. I'm gonna talk about the owners and their vision, uh, the outreach we've done, 
and the changes we've made in response to the feedback we've received and talk about the key merits of our proposal. But before I start, I do wanna accept that we're going to accept all the conditions of approval as you've proposed them. Thank you. So go ahead, uh, queue up slide two. So about the family um, and their vision, the Foothill Medical Dental Center, most of you know it, it's owned by the Lindsay family and Gary, Cynthia and Jordan are members of the family and uh, the owner representatives. And uh, Cynthia and Jordan are actually here this evening. Um, the Lindsay family started building homes back in 1929. They have an interesting history. And in the 60s and 70s, actually built a lot of uh, homes here in Sunnyvale and around the peninsula. The Lindsays were also instrumental in putting in Mary Avenue. Um, and Cynthia and Gary grew up right here in Sunnyvale and actually met in high school. And Cynthia worked at this uh, medical center um, as a teenager. Um, and the family has done a fabulous job of maintaining this property with excellent care. But with the passage of time, given that the building was built in the early 60s, it's become increasingly more difficult and challenging with code updates and, and uh, other upgrades needed. Um, so when we started um, uh, talking to them, uh, they had a decision in front of them in terms of, um, you know, do they continue trying to upgrade it or, um, you know, what would they do? And given the aging uh, family as well, uh, they chose the option of looking at um, a redevelopment path. Uh, their goal as an ownership group was really to honor the city's general plan vision for these village centers um, to build a state-of-the-art uh, new medical office. That's, it's greatly needed in this area, and um, they felt uh, really attached to that aspect of it, and to deliver some housing, which is so desperately needed in this area as well. Um, they really wanted to do it with high-quality design and materials so that it can last another half a century here in Sunnyvale. And they also wanted to collaborate with the neighbors, um, and that's why they hired me, and uh, to be transparent with the tenants as well, and give them a very long runway so they can make uh, plans. Next slide. So I wanna talk about the um, process and our outreach that we've done. We first shared a preliminary plan with the city in June of uh, two years ago. And then we made a formal application in December of 2021. Immediately after that, we hosted two meetings to, for our tenants to share our plans and our timeline, and almost everyone attended, and those that couldn't, the family followed up with them. Uh, then in February, we hosted two open houses for the neighbors that are most impacted, which is the residents that we share a fence line with, and uh, nearly everyone came as well. Then in June of last year, we hosted a large-scale community meeting where we invited over 500 residences in that 1,000-foot radius, and we had actually an in-person meeting, which was really refreshing uh, in this day and age, um, and over 60 people attended. So it was um, very, um, I think, powerful, and uh, we got great feedback as well. Uh, then in August, we presented to the Sunnyvale uh, Neighborhood Association leaders the mayor was actually there, city staff, legal women voters. And then we've had numerous individual meetings, especially with the, my fence line neighbors uh, about fences uh, and, and various aspects. And in January, of course, we were before you with a study session virtually. Um, and we were really pleased to reserve, um, receive endorsements from Livable Sunnyvale, Bay Area Council, YIMBY, as well as uh, League of, um, sorry, uh, Greenbelt Alliance which is really a recognition of this proposal being a great example of sustainable infill mixed use development. Next slide, please. 
So next, I want to share with you how we've addressed um, privacy and, and neighbor input. Extensive input. Um, so along the north and east property lines, we dropped the ends of the buildings down to two stories, which are those units circled in yellow. We increased our building setbacks along these two property lines, as we discussed, from 12 to 20 on the north, 24 on the east. Next slide, please. And this larger 20-foot buffer really shown here on the left, what it did is also enabled us to create a sizable landscape buffer where we're planting new evergreen shrubs and trees. And it also enabled us to reduce the height of that retaining wall down to two feet for the most part, except for the furthest northeastern corner. Um, but it also reduced the amount of fill that goes in that zone, which is a benefit to uh, trying to protect the trees uh, that some of the residents on the other side of our fence have. Um, and next slide, please. Um, so now, um, and I should also mention uh, that we have now 41 foot distance between uh, the existing homes uh, on the north and our homes and the th three story component is 67 feet away where it starts. So, um, you know, we went to great lengths on this uh, architectural changes to minimize the privacy impact, um, completely eliminated the third floor windows and uh, reduce the size of the second floor windows. You can see that pretty dramatic as well. We put the egress windows on the other side and we um, used higher sill heights and opaque windows as was mentioned. And then we also lowered the roof pitch to reduce the overall height. We did a shade study to confirm that we meet the city code. Uh, and we relocated a majority of the air conditioner condenser units to the other side of the building to minimize noise impacts. Next slide, please. So, um, oh, sorry, can you go the other way, I think? Oh, thank you. Oh, there you go, thank you. Um, sorry, the fence one. Uh, so anyway, we have um, proposed a high quality, solid uh, eight foot good neighbor fence on top of the retaining wall in our plans. And we were recently asked if we'd be open to having the top two feet as lattice to maybe kind of like lighten it a little bit. Uh, we're happy to do that. Um, I also do want to emphasize that the retaining wall footing will be wholly on our property, not on the neighbor's property. That was a question uh, recently. And these are all, um, there's a few alternative materials I've shown here for the retaining wall component, poured in place concrete, some block, all high quality materials that will be chosen uh, at the construction drying stage. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so our next, I want to highlight some of the key features of our proposal, really, and, and how they relate to the village uh, residential designation. Uh, our proposal delivers mixed use with townhome style ownership homes. They're one to three bedrooms, average about 1,400 square feet. And the smaller home size really offers equity building opportunities at a significantly lower price point than most homes in Sunnyvale currently, and also offers housing diversity. Um, in an area that's dominated by single family detached homes on larger lots. And we also have 14 affordables. Uh, next slide. And of course we have this um, brand new state-of-the-art medical office uh, as there's uh, significant demand for this type of space in Sunnyvale and in this whole area. Uh, and the owners are working with the tenants to help them with their planning. Uh, and some of the tenants actually want to move back in here. Um, and Cynthia's here in case there's any other questions on that. Uh, next slide, please. Um, 
So the site is in southern Sunnyvale, yet it's very much connected to the downtown transit center and Caltrain. People could take Caltrain up and down the uh, peninsula using this VTA 53 that stops right in front of um, the office, which is a, a wonderful thing. Um, this location is also phenomenal just from an a, a infill standpoint in that it, it, you know, one of the goals of the village residential was to encourage um, uh, walkability and less dependence on car. Well, certainly having two grocery stores and all these uh, uh, Walgreens uh, restaurants and other services right across the street uh, furthers that goal in our opinion. Next slide, please. Um, as I mentioned, the site is a very walkable bikeable. And uh, to answer uh, Commissioner Shukla's question, we do have a um, bike uh, repair station right there with the red star um, in front of the um, office building. And it's it's available for anybody who wants to use it. Uh, we have bike parking throughout and uh, also bike, lane, uh, bike lanes right in front of the property. Next slide, please. So we meet the city's and the state's parking uh, requirements. And we do have uh, 20 additional parking spaces uh, beyond that. And we are also planning for uh, parking sharing because the two uses have uh, peak demands at uh, very different times a day. Um, and we have a robust TDM program and we're offering transit passes for the first 10 years to encourage transit use uh, and get people used to that. Uh, we have 41 EV charging stations and 65 are EV ready and capable. Uh, next slide, please. Ms. Uh, Kamangar, apologies yeah. for the interruption. Um, Chair Pine, the applicant's time has expired. Uh, Would I be able to finish uh, off? You, uh, so you can <laughs> dip into the five minutes you have at the end of at the end of the hearing, but that time will come out of the time you have to follow up with any to follow up at the end of the public hearing. Okay, okay. And then of course, you can ask me questions as well. <laughs> All right. Um, I did want to highlight the, the new green spaces we're creating um, as required by the city for uh, residential uh, communities of this size here in the center of the site will have a community room as Ashta mentioned, and green space. Uh, for the 114 homes that we, we're programming with lawn, etc. Um, next slide. And then per the village center designation, we're also delivering two new public gathering spaces outlined here in yellow. Um, you can skip to the next. Um, here's the programming. I'm going to skip uh, to the next as well. Here it is a close up a little bit. Next, please. Um, and that's the second um, public gathering space. Next slide, please. Um, and just kind of near the closing here, I'll just say the project is highly sustainable, 100% electric. All buildings have cool roofs as well as solar. We're reducing uh, the impervious services, surfaces from 77% to 33% using permeable pavement throughout. And the office is lead gold. 80% of the landscaping is native and low water use. And we're retaining all the street trees and planting over 300 new 24 inch box trees exceeding the city requirements. So in summary, uh, and I'd like to just say that, um, sorry, go to the next slide, uh, one more. Uh, we're implementing the city's uh, general plan vision here uh, into a vibrant mixed use uh, village center with state-of-the-art medical office, housing both market rate and affordable, highly sustainable, walkable, bike-friendly, 
and delivers new public gathering spaces. So thank you very much and happy to answer your questions, hoping for your uh, recommendation of approval this evening. Thank you. Uh, recording officer, how much time is going to be left for the end of for the time at the end of the public hearing? Three minutes and 21 seconds. Thank you. Uh, and we have uh, several questions from commissioners. First up is Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you, Chair. So I'll, I'll get it started off with a loaded question. Um, on the architectural designs, I see um, you probably exceeded our requirements for articulations. Um, uh, prior to buying my home in Sunnyvale, I lived in a condominium. We went through a construction defect lawsuit. Um, my understanding is that that's kind of a fact of life um, in condominiums and so on. So my question is, is first of all, how much cost, if just a ballpark, ballpark figure, does doing all these articulations, changing surfaces all the time, if we have an estimate of how much cost that adds, and then how much construction defect risk, risk does this add as well? And and your question is how much uh, defect uh, risk does what add the, the uh, articulation all the, all the different articulations and changing of surfaces um, on the facades. Yeah. Okay. So you know for this type of uh, townhome construction these days uh, it's costing around two hundred dollars a square foot sometimes more two hundred twenty. Um, so housing costs are very high. Of course, land is also very expensive around here. Um, in terms of how much. Uh, you know, an articulation a little bit more here, a little bit more there. It's it's really difficult to forecast that without doing a takeoff. And I mean, it could be, you know, yeah. five bucks a foot. It, it depends on what kind of materials we're talking about, how much articulation and so on. Uh, fair enough. Some of it's just my own experience. Yeah. Like I, I look at all these new buildings and I'm like, well, the, uh, the construction defect attorneys are probably having better lives now. Um, the other question I have is, uh, if I read the documentation correctly, um, with the bonuses, the density bonuses and, and so on, you were actually allowed up to 120 units and um, you're proposing 114. So could you talk about the motivation to go below the maximum on the proposed units? Sure, it's, it's all about um, balance in the sense that I think someone else asked the question of like, why this, not that, like maybe the uh, the the setbacks near the neighbors are larger. That is uh, in response to comments we received, but at the same time, we have several uh, you know rules on the project that really drive it, such as the width of the roads uh, to service fire, um, you know, trash where the trash trucks can go um and even then we're, we're we weren't able to meet uh all of them actually uh but it's it's balancing all of those the having enough parking is another key one because parking really drives a lot of density um so really that that's what it comes down to and we wanted to try and maximize also the office building as much as possible because as i mentioned there is demand for it uh, thank you. That's all my questions for now. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Cerrone. Thank you, Chair. Uh, and thank you uh, for the presentation. Um, so there, there are a lot of good things about this uh, development. It's, uh, it provides much needed housing in a part of the city where it's hard to get new housing. Um, it, you know, it's attractive, sustainable, 
there's a lot of good things about it. Uh, but I have some specific questions. Uh, it seems like there's maybe a few areas where uh, in interfacing to the neighborhood that could be addressed without a lot of, uh, you know, so, uh, severe costs or difficulty. So I just wanted to explore those. One, it came up, it's come up a couple times, the grading, uh, raising the site up uh, five feet. Of course, it raises the height of the buildings relative to the neighborhood. And uh, also in the northeast corner, there are, um, uh, there's, there's almost a foot, five foot retaining wall uh, in the extreme northeast with an eight foot, eight foot uh, fence on top of that. That's, uh, you know, 13 feet at the corner of that that lot, uh, they could put a basketball goal next to the fence and still be below the top of the uh, fence. Um, so, and this is apparently for um, uh, the drainage, which uh, I appreciate, although historically there hasn't been much, much uh, problem with that for uh, a few decades, but uh, so, so one thing there, there are, uh, stormwater drains throughout the property, right? Uh, currently. Well, what you're proposing. Oh yeah, we'll definitely have some. And those come down and connect to the, uh, main and, uh, under Fremont. Yeah. And I have, um, it actually connects to Fremont and, uh, my civil engineer is here as well. If it gets very technical, but well, I... let's, let's see what you've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so first of all, the, the um, why wouldn't the storm uh, water drains handle this without regrading everything? Maybe the answer is you have to cover the situation where they get clogged. Is that so? The best way I could guess I can explain it is um, there's really two reasons for why we need the fill. And actually, if you wouldn't mind pulling up my presentation. Um, and going to um, scan through a few of the, the slides, but um, I'll explain what they are. So that it's both the storm runoff as well as uh, where we need to connect to the sewer line. Um, so in California, it's against the law to uh, do a new development, particularly of this large scale like this. And as you mentioned, you know, litigation uh, for 10 year liability that builders have you want to do the grading right, and you're not allowed to uh, uh, have drainage go on to uh, slide 27, please. Thank you. Actually, I'll go to the next one, 28. So that's the drainage pattern currently. Um, so you're not allowed to drain onto someone else's property, and that's the rule. So uh, engineers want to have uh, what's called positive overland release, which means that if there's a huge storm event, that the water has a way to come out naturally without any kind of pumping or anything like that. So those blue arrows are, are signifying our drainage pattern once the site's been graded. Um, and then the other reason why we are needing to raise the site and the northeast corner up is our connection to the sewer city sewer main in Fremont is at an elevation, and we need to have we've actually lowered it to the minimum. Uh, slope that we can have in that sewer pipe in order to make that fall. So those are the main two engineering drivers. And I will also say when we had our first neighbor meeting, um, 
Don Horak, I believe is his name, but the guy who lives um, in that furthest northeastern Eichler, uh, just over there. I mean, he told me that, okay, well, that's he's happy that we're going to fix this because apparently one time the water just rose up and almost came into his living room. Uh, because especially Eichlers, you know, they're pretty close to the ground. So it just, you know, we worked on it hard because staff had these questions as well for us. But uh, in the end, the engineers agreed with our engineers and the design. So even if this on the, on the northeast corner, even if it sloped down a little bit to the, um, are you saying the, uh, the intake there, the stormwater intake at that corner is right at the pipe? It's not ele elevated above the pipe. You couldn't lower the ground anymore without exposing the stormwater pipe. It's it's actually the sewer main that we're having uh, to connect to. Right, but the uh, up at the corner, you have a uh, an intake to the uh, uh, piping that goes down to the sewer main. Yes, so it's it's kind of at its lowest. Uh, my engineers, you know, I asked them to make it as low as we can, and still have it work and. That's the, uh, how they've designed it. The, the pipes or the ground? The ground. All right. Um, yeah. There, what, did any other alternatives come up as a way to mitigate that? And I think you are sloping uh, around the edges of the property already, aren't you? You so show that in one of the slides, right? Yeah, from the corner of um, Mary and Fremont, the, the property slopes. If you go back to the previous slide, it it slopes down about almost five feet. Uh, well, I mean, just from uh, you know, let's say uh, building uh, two or whatever to the fence, it looks like you have a. You said you you ha had it sloped down, and then which enabled you to lower the retaining wall. Yeah, I mean, on that part of it, it's it's less dramatic. The the highest retaining wall, and someone was also asking about the retaining wall heights. I mean, the generally with the slope and the 20 foot buffer, we were able to reduce the retaining wall to largely to two feet, except for that Northeastern corner where it's four and a half. So it's not everywhere. And we did um, lower it as much as we could for all the reasons. All right, all right. Um, so, um... Um, maybe this is a question for staff, but is the paving, uh, wondering again about the stormwater and that, is uh, the paving uh, permeable compared to what we have now? Is there a requirement for permeable paving? I thought there was. So I think overall they're reducing the impervious surface um, for the site as compared to what there is right now. So they are making it more. Uh, yeah, less permeable surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, if I can correct. I mean, we're making it more permeable because we are currently seventy-seven percent impervious. Because if you know the site, it's like the buildings and a sea of asphalt all around it yes. in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, and even though we're adding this intensification, uh, the reason we're reducing down to thirty-three percent impervious is because we're also introducing permeable pavement for the whole community that was voluntary okay let's uh, talk about the trees um 
the uh, actually, I think the characterization that the impact is minimal is is not quite correct. But the but I have the impression that it's minimal uh, if the uh, instructions from the arborist are followed, which are and to quote the uh, um, the report, if trees are to survive, wall foundations in this area must be designed to wrap or bridge over roots larger than two inches in diameter. So this is this is protecting the trees on the other side of the fence, not on your property, on the other side of the fence. Uh, it says removal of roots larger than two inches should be avoided, pruning of roots, uh, you know, uh, over two inches shall receive prior approval of and be supervised by the consulting arborist. Consulting arborist in this case is the arborist you hire, is that correct? That's right, but it says the condition also references at the oversight of the city arborist. And this is very standard practice, by the way. I mean, this is a very, very common condition where we have trees right near the property line. I mean, a lot of people want to plant trees right on the fence, so it gives maximum backyard. So yeah. it happens all the time that you use air spade or even hand excavate where needed to ensure that the roots are not damaged. Right, right. So, so for example, it's not going to be a solid wall. It's going to be a, a wall that somehow, or maybe posts or whatever, that allow these roots to be to not be damaged. Correct. That that was a, a little unclear in the drawings. And the uh, uh, is it possible for the residents to be involved in that at all? Well, I, they're definitely going to be out there. I'm sure because it's you know the fence is going to come back. <laughs> <laughs> if they're notified, right, that it's happening. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's notification, definitely. Yeah. So, it's, so they don't have to. They'll be out with their coffee. Their, yeah, they don't have to guard their fence there with. Uh, um, the uh, open space, uh, you know, for a long time. Uh, this has been going on for a while, right? Uh, a long time. You were promoting the, you know, this open space, kind of a park there. And uh, why did you decide to uh, close it to residents? Yeah, so um, the public. yeah, let me explain that a little bit. Um, so there is no requirement for a public park. Uh, so and there's no objective standard for a public park. Uh, we had originally proposed a public park, uh, hoping that we would get park fee credits, because in every city, you know, you still you do the park, you dedicate the land, we would improve the park and then, uh, you know, hope to get credits towards our park fees, uh, many of the neighboring cities actually give 50 to 75% park fee credits for these types of parks that are open to the public. Uh, Sunnyvale doesn't do that. Um, and so we were you know, negotiating and discussing it. And ultimately when they came back and said, no, if you do the park, you know, you still have to pay the $6 million in park in lieu fees. And, you know, the ownership is, uh, is you know, gracious and uh very nice people but that it's just ex extremely expensive so um but the village center does uh talk about public gathering spaces and so we have those in the corner village plaza and also this other public gathering space that we think will be really nicely programmed and they add up to uh, over 7000 square feet um and it's not unusual as you all know also in these types uh, this scale of development over 100 homes they do usually have i mean first of all we're required to have a community room by it's a city requirement so we put that in 
And then the rest is just, you know, little area for the residents maybe to gather and, and have a birthday party or something like that. Very common. The HOA maintains it. Uh, that's the approach. So that's the background. Is that city policy to not give credits for park space or open space? Um, so it's, it's um, you know, it's a discretionary um, policy. And in this case, we did reviewed um, the location and size of the park. And based on that, it was determined that a park in lieu free credit was not reasonable. Okay. Because um, right now the open space in the middle is open to the public. Um, Uh, let me ask about electric vehicles. Um, the um, I, it was a little confusing to me because it's it's listed different ways and different uh, types, and so there's there's a lot of garages here. Every every place has a garage, right? It might be one or it might be two uh, car garage. Is there 120 volt outlets in the garages? Uh, yes, that's a city requirement. So, so th there's a, it's effectively a level one charger, which is just an outlet uh, in every, uh, every unit, right? Yes. I mean, every, every house has a two car garage. Um, half of them are tandem and uh, this, the one uh, bedroom plans um, have a, head height clearance uh, for which, you know, city won't count the second space as a uh, parking space, but technically you could park a like a Prius or some smaller vehicle in that space. But yes, to answer your question, I mean, it, it's every garage will have the ability. Um, how high is that? The ceiling height? The low side, yeah. Um, no, if um, my architect remembers, well, I, I think it was... Yeah, and and we this is old applicant time, so anybody with the applicant can answer. She said about um, four feet, and then it slopes up. You better not get one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and and I will say that I do request that things get said or at least repeated through the microphone we do have a very large number of remote attendees tonight yeah thank you so um is 240 volts available is there an outlet 240 volt outlet in the garages i i don't believe so we're delivering what's um what's the city requirements and i thought it was uh 120 but maybe staff can confirm that yeah yeah well i i understand that i i guess i feel like that's not going to be sufficient in a few years but uh, i appreciate it is the city requirement um um so on another subject uh current tenants and their relocation and uh I, I have talked to some tenants who said they were assured two or three years ago that you know this redevelopment would, would not happen 
and uh, now they're faced with moving uh, uh, a cost of moving a dentist's office, which apparently is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, can you comment on that? Is that is that common or? So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Cynthia Christensen, the property owner. But before I do, I do want to say that um, they, as as you know, the the village center designation um, came about in 2017. So at that time, apparently there was even a news article and and something that made some of the residents feel like this was going to happen at that site right then and there. Uh, when in fact the owners had no intention at all at the time they learned about it actually from I think their tenants or the newspaper article and um, they went to the city just to understand hey what does this mean for us can we continue operating as we are and what does this mean typical type of home um, property owner types of questions and uh, they said oh no you can continue on and you know but you can develop it later using these guidelines so um, but one of their key premises has been to communicate with the property owners uh, early. So that's why I mentioned that we had those tenant outreach meetings very early. Um, and, you know, nothing's happening on the site until 2025 or when the last tenant is out. So giving them really a three-year runway, um, because we know it's a, it is challenging to find new space and um, uh, challenging to move. Uh, but as I indicated, they've had conversations with all of them um, and everyone is aware and each tenant lease is different. Um, so the terms vary, but um, I don't know, Cynthia, if you want to add anything. The, um, uh, I think I know the answer to this, but can the, given the location, can the new office building be built while the old tenants stay in place? Yeah, it's the site's too tight for uh, phasing and, and in that type of environment where there's residents there and, and or construction going on and, and the buildings. And yeah, we, yeah. we did someone else asked that question and it's just not a workable, safe solution. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, that's Mr. All, Schroeder. That's all I have for now. Thank you. Oh. Mr. Schroeder. Yes, uh, just just to follow up on the EV charger. So the requirement is one for each unit one um, two hundred forty volts, and then one one twenty volts uh, for each unit in each uh, garage. Uh, yes, for each for each unit. So that parking would be in the garage. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. A couple questions. Can you put up that slide 28 again, please? If you take the um, east, the most east, and the most north building, and it shows two bedrooms towards the north, and then it shows three bedrooms coming down the east side. Is that correct? Um, sorry, say if that you again. You take this furthest to the right. Yeah, up in the northeast corner. Right? Is it two two story, right? It's two stories between there and the north by color coding. And right. It's three stories between the east as you go there. And what's on the east right over that wall? 
Oh, okay. So on the east, we, um, as Ashta mentioned, it's multifamily um, and it's one or two story. Sure. And they have a 16 foot uh, rear yard on those, the would, existing residents. Would you, um, as you did for the north, say what the privacy factors that you put built into the project? Yes. So we have, um, see those uh, darker yellow and ends of buildings 12 and 13, those are um, also two-story units. Yeah. And they have the same kind of uh, privacy uh, implementation of on the windows that I talked about. Mm -hmm. So all of that applies. And we also have the 24-foot landscape buffer there in that zone. Um, so it's it's I would say it's very similar. Yeah. The building, and I think it's building number seven has three foot three story uh, units bordering a residential development of one and two stories. What is the privacy factor between those three stories there in that building and the right straight across the fence? Oh, yes. Okay. I get that question now. Uh, sorry. Can you go to slide five in my presentation, please? Um, actually, sorry, can you go, um, no, to, uh, shoot, I wish I could zoom in on my own exhibit. Okay, it's, it's, it's slide 40, actually. Because we did cross sections for several locations. So I don't know if you're able to see that, but it's um, the cross section at uh, the very top center. Uh, that yep. distance at the very top is the distance that we're providing in that area. So the point is that those um, homes are significantly further away from the existing residents. And then we also have the green buffer in that area where we're putting in landscaping. But the windows on those are uh, the same windows as in other parts of the community sure. because we need fire egress out of bedrooms. So between the north, it's a 20-foot buffer. What is the actual number? Is it 60 and a half feet? Yes, to their the face of their building. Yeah. Okay, so the, they got 60 and a half foot to the fence? To their the their building face, from their building face on the right to our... Okay, um, it's 60 from building, building to building. Yeah. Okay. One other question. The TDM has a 10-year program in there for... Um, um, a transit pass. How's that being funded? Um, it'll be funded by um, the builder. So it'll be paid before the HOA takes over. Yeah. And so. Um, nothing for the okay. Thanks. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. A lot of questions were asked by my fellow commissioner, but I have. Um, uh, some detailed question and one large question. Uh, the the small is like between building fifteen and fourteen. Uh, there is a what is going on there because it's um, I kind of went through all your plan. It's a fourteen feet six inch distance, and um, they are like they are the very space which up uh, which is not occurring anywhere else because they are the two buildings and these are the sides of this building. So when you talked about the trash enclosure, not having enough. I, I, I was just talking about that space. 
Okay, so between buildings 14 and 15, which um, are parallel to the uh, West Fremont Street, between those two spaces, we basically have a walkway to allow for additional pedestrian connectivity to the site from West Fremont, you can walk in. But in terms of, I'm not sure if you're talking about potentially putting a trash enclosure there. Is that where you're going? No, no, I'm not going with that. But I just, okay. because I could not, because that space is just like walkway, private walkway, because um, uh, it looks like, I mean, uh, how are you going to define it uh, private and public? Uh, anyway, but that's, um, that comes later. But that's, I was curious about it, that what is going to happen there, because it's just a um, walkway. Yeah, just a walkway, landscaping. And we do have also um, the air conditioner condenser units always on the ends of the building. So there will be, you know, some of the utility meter boxes that we have to and put And this will be walkway for all the residents or just the just the one which are facing in the front? Just those two buildings. Yeah. Just two. Okay. okay, thank you. That's one. Sure. And then second one was... Um, I uh, first of all, I really am disappointed about uh, about um, removing like you remove the public uh, public access to the private park in the middle because I was very excited about it when you did the study session. and i I think I really appreciate that uh, you have a variety of housing where I, density is achieved by so many different interesting square footage, interesting units. But I think the success also lies into bringing the public. It's just um, sometimes those community spaces are dead in the sense because they all have different options. We Sunnyvale has so many options. So I was just wondering that would you consider like, because how do you demarcate uh, between public gathering area and private? Are you going to put a fence there? Or, I mean, it's like, uh, it's that space is very, very hard. To do anything there it's like the uh, the face of the office building with the staircase and then there is a side um, building so yeah i mean you know we think it's uh, the way we programmed it with our landscape architect who's very talented in this type of infill housing uh in more urban creating more urban spaces um even though the space might, might not be large but if it's done right with the right high quality uh, decorative pavement and 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 shade trees, some lighting benches, and the landscaping. We think it's going to be a really attractive um, area for people. And many of you, if you visited the the center right now, may have sat maybe in that center courtyard. But like a lot of times, people end up if they're taking someone to uh, the medical center, they might hang out there and wait for um, someone to come from the, the medical building. So we think that they're going to be nice uh, spaces, albeit, you know, they're not huge. But at the same time, again, I was talking about the need to balance all that goes into a community such as this with all the constraints and meeting requirements as much as we can. And we still needed the seven waivers. Yeah. I do. Uh, I do believe that you will create that space because um, the the uh, the facility right now is also beautiful. I mean, when you wait for the patients, you go in the middle courtyard, and it has uh, it stood the test of time. Yeah, for long. So I would I would believe that that will create. But so I have one suggestion that there is a street light you have provided for the public gathering, and it's a little bit inside. It's um it's not welcoming. So I would suggest that because the, even if you count the food candle of the lights, it, it doesn't, um, uh, most of 
the street lights there, they overlap with each other. This one is very further, so it's not inviting enough. People won't even know that is public gathering. So just like rethink about the relocating the street lights, um, bringing out a little bit closer to the walkway, so it will be more inviting. Whatever the public gathering you do. So. Yeah, I'll say that the street light spacing is is very prescriptive and exact uh, set by the city. So we don't have a lot of wiggle room there, but we absolutely can move bollards around. And we do have a condition of approval whereby we have to submit a full photometric plan for the project uh, before we pull building permits. So it looks at making sure we have enough light, but not too much light and no spilling of light over onto adjacent property owners. Um, this one I'm talking about is just but in the, the gathering space you're it's about. a gathering space but it's towards the office you have it next to the staircase like there the the staircase yeah, between the office and building 15 15 yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it's not in the middle like you have some central lower light problem yeah we can border. look at that so you know it's like if generally most of the time public gathering place if there is not light enough yeah it is people dangerous. don't want to go there so yeah. it's just that's what so wherever you put it should have enough luminance so it can um, it can look like public gathering place because it's a little bit inside and you have to uh, people have to know before they come there. So that's one. The second one I have um, um it's about the the bench of VT, the bench you are going to propose for VTA for um I know, I mean they have only metal bench. Do they have options different options or just one guidelines they have. Um, they have the metal bench and they, my civil engineer gave me the, the detail. So I saw that, but it's, uh, it's like, um, you know, I, I was just hoping that uh, uh, if we can upgrade, like somehow make it a little better bench because it's, you, we have, this is the opportunity and if they have options. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can look and see if they have options. And my understanding was that they're very, you know, Strict this about. is it. This is the one you you're supposed to use but okay we can look at that okay so that second other uh, one thing i have um, uh, another one question was um, i mean i do appreciate um, um that oh the office i mean i did bring it out the office building you are uh, you are getting 10 feet extra and um um i mean is that I, I I mean it's like I I know I'm not asking you to change aesthetically but I feel that it's not um, somehow I it's a completely two separate project as I asked the staff in the beginning that the village center houses look like they belong there uh, it was before and this building really looks gigantic while like Zanotto all those places around they are very village like center and I know that they are suggested to make three or five stories because even the new village center, they were asking them on the corner, you can go a little taller. But I was just wondering that the look, they are completely different. Well, I guess, you know, my architects, they would probably disagree a little in the sense that they feel like, you know, they pull the materials and are using a lot of the same materials, like wood siding is, is on both to try and to Yes, scale-wise, they're very different buildings, obviously, and 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 they're both contemporary in theme. But uh, we do have like stone on both of them, wood siding and stucco, and then they're more in the uh, natural colors palette. Um, so I think it's it's that that's it's, an area that's a little bit subjective, a little bit, yeah. No, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I will just wait for all other people to talk, but. Um, 
I I I just will wait to hear. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And I had a couple questions. Uh, uh, first up, uh, first off, I appreciate your willingness to work to work on looking into uh, trees that into trees that are going to provide a bit more shading. I when I I always get a little edgy when I see parking lot shading waivers just because I know it's probably doesn't count as a health and safety impact with, for purposes of state law. But frankly, urban heat island issues are a health and safety impact, even if we can't use that as basis for project denial. So I do very much appreciate you, your willingness to work with the city on further mitigating that. Uh, but on the parking issue, uh, why did you uh, go with the uh, 20 compact spaces? Um, okay, can you um, pull up my slide uh, 23, please? So <clears throat> we introduced um, the compact spaces at the northeastern corner here that I, I put together this little exhibit uh, as a way to increase that landscape buffer as much as I could uh, in order to provide as sizable trees as possible in that zone to provide the you know nice solid uh, landscape buffer. Uh, so that was the, the main driver of that one. Thank you. And my other question is just uh, how are you planning on specifically restricting some of the uh, private pedestrian entries like I'm looking at between building 1415 uh, to the east of to the east of building 14 just like just like just like with a with like a coded gate or something or yeah no I I, I, I don't envision this community being a gated community um, it, it's it's more um, you know it's it's open it's landscaped but you know, most people know like, oh, okay, well, that looks like a housing community. And, but, you know, if you walk through it, it's no one's going to probably do anything. I think it should be welcoming. And I, I do believe that, you know, that plaza, the gathering space we have between the buildings, I think it's going to naturally people remember it and know it exists there and they will use it for cut through, let's say like kids going to school or a person cutting through. It just becomes a kind of a pattern eventually. Yep. Okay, yeah, that that is the answer I actually like better. Uh, just, but I, but I have, but I have seen like, I have seen subdivisions around the city that do have like little gates on their path on the pathways in and out. So I just, yeah. But I definitely prefer the version where it's not. So, thank you. Yeah, I mean it's a mixed use community, so it's yep. all supposed to work together. Yep. Thank you. No, I I appreciate that. Uh, that is all I had for now. Uh, so, uh Commissioner Howe, is it possible to have a five minute break? Uh, sure. Uh, we will get to members of the public following a five minute recess. The planning commission stands in recess until 8.58 p.m.
Planning Commission will come back to order. If uh, the chair and we will now uh, proceed with members of the public. And if I accidentally catch somebody that's in the bat that's in the bathroom or something, I'll, I'll come back to them. I'll call them when I get to the end of the queue. Uh, speakers will have three minutes to speak and the timer will be displayed on the screen. Uh, my first speaker is Bruce Terrace, followed by Soterios Limotarakis. Okay, thank you. My name is Bruce Terrace and we live at 1241 Nellis Court and we share the property line, that north fence line that's been discussed. And so first I'd like to thank the commission and the applicants for working with us throughout this whole process and addressing the neighbor's concern and arriving at what I think is a much better design that minimizes the impact on our property. But we have one remaining large concern and that is the impact of the regrading, the five foot height, and in particular, the uh, impact of the uh, construction and height of the retaining wall on our landscape. As you've seen, as a result of the study session, the arborist assessed the impact of the retaining wall on our trees and the arborist stated it is significant. And I read from you from the arborist report, which you all have, this is in regard to the property at 1241 Nellis Court, that impacts to the four larger fern pines will be significant, cutting or removing large areas of root systems of the trees so close to the trunk. African fern pines have moderate tolerance to root disturbance, but if the trees are to survive, wall foundations in this area must be designed to wrap or bridge roots larger than two inches. And it goes on to discuss cutting the roots. Now, the city staff summarized the report as, and this is on page 10 of the city, the staff report, referring to the arborist report, the report determined that impacts on the neighboring trees will be minimal and includes recommendations for preserving and further minimizing impacts on neighboring trees. Now, we clearly don't consider killing four to six of our trees as minimal impact. And so because of the height of this regrade, these trees are critical to maintaining our privacy. And so uh, we request a few things. One is we think the retaining wall can be, design can be improved such as instead of using a continuing footing, continuous footing, putting in a post design, such as a fence, posts on say eight foot centers. The second request, and we've requested a redesign of this numerous times from the applicant, but they've always told us this will be done at a later stage, but we haven't seen it yet. And second is, since this uh, severely impacts our property, we first request that the, uh, Commission adapt the recommendation of the staff that all aspects of the design and construction be supervised by the arborist. But second, since this is uh, significantly impacting our property, we as the owners would like to be at least consulted and involved in the design process. So we don't wanna come out with the bulldozers out there with our cup of coffee, seeing what's going on as suggested by the applicant, but we'd like to be upfront in the process to be sure that our concerns are heard and then of course, final approval by the arborist. Finally, these trees are mature, they cannot be replaced and they benefit both parties, us, the potential future owners, and with better retaining wall design, any potential harm can certainly be minimized. And again, the trees are critical to our privacy due to this increased grading. Thank you. And you have a question from Commissioner Davis. Oh, sorry. 
her. You do not have a question from Commissioner Davis. No, I do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was fumbling with the buttons. Um, uh, thank you for coming, um, Mr. Terrace. I did read all of your letters, uh, and uh, but I understand the concern about the trees. Um, I have a. You're the first property owner to come up, so I'm going to ask you a few questions just um, because you're first. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, I, I live in the same style of Eichler home, the atrium Eichler. I was looking at the maps very closely uh, and then actually went out and measured on mine a little bit. So um, I don't expect you to have exact measurements, but um, on my house, uh, we have the arch, the, the low arch, I'm sorry, the low slope roof, mm -hmm. and we have about a six foot overhang uh, from the glass. Okay, so, so you agree with that. And then also on my house, um, the rear... Um, about two thirds of the back is glass, uh, essentially, except for the the bedroom. I just wanted to confirm these things. Very similar to ours, it sounds like. Yeah, they're they're kind of cookie cutter, right? They're not they're not unique. He had a template. He did it over and over. Um, uh, but yes, thank you for coming. Um, very much note your concern about the trees. Uh, thank you. No, that's what I'm because of that glass and the five foot elevation change, the privacy is a big concern. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Uh, next up is Soterios Limotarakis, followed by Kathy Bechtel. Uh, good evening, and thank you for the opportunity to speak. I'd like to read from a section of the environmental uh, checklist, uh, page 552, and this is about noise. So it says in the document, as published uh, right now on the website, during project operation, that means after it's been finished, the residential and commercial units would have rooftop heating, ventilating, and air conditioning units. Typical condensing heat pump units have a LEQ, that's the equivalent noise, of approximately 75 dBA, which corresponds to a noise level of approximately 62 dBA at five feet. A report, Salter 2022, is quoted by name only. Uh, therefore, the individual pieces of equipment would be expected to meet the City of Sunnyvale noise ordinance at 50 dBA. By the way, it was mentioned that because of the application having been submitted in 2021, SB 330, the ordinance at the time would be applicable, which is actually 45 dBA for nighttime noise, at the distance of 20 feet from the property line. Now, this is a lot of noise for an air conditioning unit, 75 dBA. This is loud, 75 dBA. And somehow it goes down to about 50 at the least. And there it's, and it says, which is even more alarming, the individual pieces of equipment would be expected to meet the noise limit. Well, that means that if one piece of equipment is operating, it's gonna be okay. But if all of them are operational, then the noise will explode. Now, this requires a lot more detail as to what's going to happen with the noise and the um, uh, the air conditioning equipment. And it was mentioned by the representative of the developer that they have decided to move these units on the inside of the development, so not along the northern fence, but towards the south of the northern buildings. If this is the case or where exactly they're going to be located, uh, I think we're going to need more details on that. Maybe what's on the website right now is a little bit uh, out, uh, outdated. Uh, one last thing. It was mentioned that the north side is actually the side of the development. Well, the development has a Fremont address. So Fremont is the front. The north side is the back. In any case, it's a corner. 
so anything can be either a side or a front or a back. So the fact that there is um, a 20 uh, feet uh, distance uh, uh, on the north side, well, yes, I appreciate that, but you know, it's not exactly a, a huge favor. So uh, noise, uh, I would like to hear more about uh, details for the air conditioning units uh, with respect to the operational phase of the project. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, next up is Kathy Bechtel, followed by uh, Tracy uh, Weingard. I may be mispronouncing that. Hi, good evening. Thank you for your time and all your attention and your questions. Um, I realized as I heard the questions, how far along you are in this process. So my comments may be more geared to um, alert the um, commission about not only my concerns as a resident of 20 years of Sunnyvale and a homeowner near Las Palmas Park, not only about this project, but about the other remaining corner projects. And if the commission is going to consider further development of those other corners, I think some of these concerns should be addressed in the planning commission's uh, rules and maybe amendments to the city plan uh, and maybe some forethought about how we want to address these concerns for the future. Um, Sunnyvale was just rated and ranked number two as one of the best towns in the United States um, and number five for the quality of life for towns in the United States. Um, part of the charm of Sunnyvale is our suburban character. And although this plan proposes to keep the character of a village center, the plan proposed is not compatible with the surrounding neighborhood that is single story or two story residences. The proposed three-story buildings are significantly taller, out of character for the existing neighborhood. I'm concerned about the impact of higher rents on our local current tenants of this office park, primarily doctors and dentists who serve our community, me uh, in particular. I'm a patient of one of those dental facilities. Uh, we have a glut of the kind of office space in this town that's being described. If you look just a couple blocks up, you have a million square feet of office space that looks vacant and has been uh, for some time. Uh, I don't understand turning out uh, current tenants when you have uh, long-term, uh, decades-long dental and medical practices. Um, I'm also concerned about the other retail communities on the other corners and what's planned for those corners, like Zanotto's, which is a valuable community neighbor uh, and, and serves our community well. Sunnyvale residents want Sunnyvale to stay affordable. And we want our private and uh, independent businesses. We don't want to turn into big box uh, consumer retail uh, that you find everywhere else. Uh, I'm curious what the current vacancy rate is of other office space in Sunnyvale. And I'm also curious if there's a limit on this uh, office park to just medical and dental and what's being done to help these uh, practices transition. The current plan will cause traffic congestion and higher rents for local businesses. I'm concerned about particularly the traffic patterns between Mary and Fremont for our students who ride bikes along those and the increased tra traffic. I heard very little about that uh, with regard to this plan. Um, this plan is in the heart of our residential and school community. And I would ask that the um, commission consider these comments, not just with this project, but with any further development on those other corners. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is uh, Tracy uh, Weingard, and I probably bought, butchered that horribly. Okay. So feel free I, to correct me. Followed by Brian Lombard. 
My name is Tracy Wingrove. I've been a resident of Sunnyvale for 18 uh, years. Could you adjust the mic up? Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to follow up on some of Kathy's comments. I, I was also concerned um, as we have not heard very much about this project until we saw the sign uh, posted for this meeting. And uh, although we don't live in the immediate neighborhood, we um, interact with this area of town a lot, um, going to and from the freeway especially. And I am very concerned about the traffic pattern going to and from 85. I find the notion of people taking the 53 bus to uh, Caltrain and the transit center somewhat ludicrous. Our bus service is very limited here in Sunnyvale. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be, most people are gonna be driving their cars. Um, we do have heavy bike traffic on the street and I haven't really heard anything about how we're going to address that. So I'm really concerned about the backup from 85 along Fremont and um, wondering at what point in this planning process that becomes addressed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is Brian Lombard, followed by Mark Pegalotti. And members of the Planning Commission. Uh, my name is Brian Lombard. I'm uh, owner uh, of the residential property at 1290 Mandarin Drive. Um, which is behind the Westmore Shopping Center across the street. That's um, South Mary Avenue, across the street uh, from the commercial property at 877 West Fremont Avenue. The property of discussion tonight has been a medical office complex for over 40 years. The new development project at the site will add 114 condominium units and have two to three story structures. I am concerned that the high density residential commercial construction will change the character and traffic congestion in the area by the corner of South Mary and West Fremont. In particular, I'm concerned that a similar project will be proposed for the Westmore Village Shopping Center and ultimately degrade the privacy of homes of Mandarin Drive behind the Westmore complex. <clears throat> I've been a Sunnyvale resident since 1976. I'm concerned the high density I fled from in San Francisco is developing in my neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. And my last in-person speaker card is Mark Pegalotti. Uh, if you wish to address the Planning Commission on this topic and you are here, uh, please fill out a speaker card now. Hello and good evening. Uh, my name is Mark Pigolotti. Um, I live in uh, 1239 McIntosh uh, Court. I am a resident of Sunnyvale for the last uh, 23 years. Uh, I work with uh, Katia on uh, some of the aspects that she discussed, uh, the setback and, and things. I am here to comment about the North Fence design. Uh, I look at the design uh, of the North Fence. I notice a number of uh, problems and issues. I reported those issues to the, this planning commission in March. I also exchanged email with the developer. So those problems are for me important compared to what we have. What she, the developer is planning is something which is a lower quality. Um, one of the problems I, I see is that retaining wall construct uh, that need to be constructed on my property. So I, uh, you can see they will have to dig a deep trench, large trench. They will damage the tree. 
and all my infrastructure in the backyard. I have a swimming pool, I have a concrete uh, deck of the swimming pool. They will have to remove trees. The arborist report is, um, uh, is not describing the full picture. I think they, are, um, uh, they will remove trees. And I have also a concrete uh, work path in the backyard that may be damaged by all the, 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 the equipment that we bring to dig and, and, and construct the, the, the retaining wall. So I oppose the retaining wall as specified. I think there have, uh, the developer has enough place in the setback to build his own concrete wall without coming in my property and damaging my own property. So I'm requesting um, a, second, uh, a second view of, of the north fence. They probably have I've suggested and uh, another solution to this commission and to the developer too. I hope uh, uh, that is possible. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up is uh, Rama Penumberti, Pen uh, followed by Tina Kobetsky. And again, feel free to correct me if I'm misreading your name. Hello, uh, Rama Penumberti, 20 years. Can you adjust the microphone just a little downward? Thank you. Uh, 20 year resident of uh, Sunnyvale uh, from uh, 1100 block of uh, Mary Avenue. So, a couple of comments. Uh, one is uh, <clears throat> the street side setback on Mary seems to be reduced from uh, the required 20 feet to seven or eight feet. Don't remember what it is. Uh, but I think, <clears throat> given that it's going to be three, flo uh, three floor uh, building, there's not a lot of space between the sidewalk and the start of the buildings. And it's not just going to be this. At some point, all the four corners of the intersection are going to be developed. And if all of them are going to be like that, it's going to be like we are walking through a canyon uh, when we get to that point. And that's going to <clears throat> dramatically change the nature of the street itself. And uh, I think as uh, someone earlier pointed out, uh, changes the nature of this uh, area completely. To the point one. Uh, the next one is uh, <clears throat> I haven't heard anything about the impact to traffic as well as impact to the local schools and uh, so on and so forth. So I'd like to see what that is and uh, what's being done about it. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, next up is uh, Tina Kobetsky, uh, followed by Elaine Leichow. Thank you for the opportunity to address the commission. Microphone just a little further down. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Tina Kobetsky, um, and I live in the Las Palmas neighborhood. And I would just have like a couple minutes to reiterate what um, Kathy Bechtel and Tracy Wingrove um, brought up. And I want to further elaborate on those points. Number one um, is that, yes, Sunnyvale was rated one of the best cities in the country to live. I've raised three kids here. I've lived here for over 23 years. And what makes our communities special is the suburban type of lifestyle that we have. And I feel like this type of development on those four corners is not consistent um, with what we've had in place and what makes Sunnyvale special. So I don't want to live in a big city um, with high rise that block the sun um, and um, really, really impacts uh, a quality of life. Um, I'm concerned about the 
um, there wasn't anything mentioned about the impact on traffic study. And I also want to understand what is going to be the longer impact as the other three corners get developed on traffic and making it unsafe for our children. Um, I frequent often Zanato's areas, the smart and final, and I really like it that there are small businesses in the Zanato's area. And if that gets developed, those small businesses will not be able to afford to be there and to thrive. And that's a very, very negative impact on our community. Um, and we need to invest in our small businesses um, to really address the income inequality gap in California and make it more easy for small businesses to start and to be able to have a place and be a part of the community. So I really feel like um, what's happening is really putting develop developers' interest ahead and their desire to make money and profit over the best interest of the community of Sunnyvale. Thank you. Thank you. And my last speaker card is Elaine Lee Chow. Hi, uh, my name is Elaine Lee Chow. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, address. Um, so I live off of Fremont Avenue. I walk across that corner multiple times in the day. And to reiterate some of the comments that others have made, um, I would like to see a traffic impact and to understand what the two means of egress, uh, not just the one on Fremont, but especially the one on Mary, how that's going to affect the current traffic. Uh, my students, uh, my children went to Homestead. That street is heavily impacted during school times with children on bikes, as well as traffic. Um, they've had to change traffic patterns down on Homestead. They installed the four-way crosswalk to address the traffic impact, and that follows onto that area. Um, the other quick comment I would like to make is I understand in one of the earlier uh, council meetings that uh, there was a comment made about comparing this multi-use area to saying, well, Cupertino on Stevens Creek has a main street and that's thriving and doing well. And I would like to point out that this particular intersection has nothing in common with the Stevens Creek area where the main street was put in. There is no uh, direct uh, suburban area and housing in that particular area. It's a lot more commercial. And I would argue that uh, this particular area has nothing in common with that Stevens Creek corner. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and is anyone else interested in speaking to this agenda item in person before we hear from remote speakers? Seeing and hearing none. Uh, I will go to our remote participants. Uh, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Yes, Chair, we do. I'll go ahead and start with Luis Mirante. Hi, uh, good evening, uh, members of the Planning Commission. My name is Luis Mirante. I am Vice President, I'm putting my hand down, it's distracting. I'm Vice President of Public Policy with the Bay Area Council, which represents about 330 of the Bay Area's largest employers. Uh, I work every day uh, with my colleagues and our members to solve the region's biggest problems, and housing is clearly number one, at least um, for anyone who pays rent or is trying to buy a home. It can certainly feel like the biggest barrier to staying or living in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm calling in support of this project because I think it adds uh, important uh, housing uh, to the region. Uh, our project endorsement uh, subcommittee unanimously approved this project and commended uh, the developer for working with the neighbors, downscaling the project, responding to their concerns. 
Um, I just wanted to flag that this is exactly the type of housing, this is exactly the type of project that we as a region need to be moving forward. Um, you know, I'm sure you know, uh, there was that recent report in 2022 that found that rent in Sunnyvale increased by about 35%. Um, that's because our region is, according to the state, short by something like 440,000 homes uh, that we need to build over the next 10 years to make sure that we can be the place we want to be, the, the type of home. Uh, or to, to, to be the home uh, for everyone who wants to make the region home. Um, this project is just one of what I hope will be many across the region uh, offering low-income housing and affordable home ownership options, which are really unique. Um, those types of projects that can uh, get over the barriers to condo defect liability are ones that I think uh, local government should sort of try to snap up as, as much as they can, uh, because I can say, speaking for many developers, um, developers are often reluctant to bring forward that homeownership opportunity uh, because it exposes you to additional uh, uh, liability in court. And so I commend the developers here for, for bringing this project forward, offering uh, affordable homeownership opportunities uh, to those who need them most. You know, this is a transit-oriented project. This is a walkable location. This is exactly the type of project we should be encouraging across the region to not just meet our housing goals, uh, but to meet our environmental goals, our walkability goals, our livability goals, uh, and to just be the type of community where you can wake up, go to work, shop, go to a restaurant, all within easy walking distance of your house. I think that's just the type of community that I want to live in and uh, would encourage uh, you all to create this project. Uh, with that, I strongly urge your support for this project. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Carol Wise. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, it's kind of interesting to be on this side of the dais for a change. I've been a resident of Sunnyvale since 1976 and seen a lot of change. A few questions. Does the same app applicant own the Deanta Business Center, which is the southwest corner, or, or any of the corners owned by the same applicants. I ask this because we're going to have a hodgepodge of, of development, appearances, and uses. If not, it would be um, much better if there was some cohesiveness. Um, I also think the medical dental offices would be better suited to the southwest corner because the Citibank uh, Plaza there is usually empty. There's not much going on there, and that could be the first replaced. I have some concerns about things like the distance from the trash enclosures and that being a waiver. Um, I wonder if that applies to what I hope are some accessible units. The accessible units should be included, must be within 150 feet. Um, I very much agree with um, Commissioner Davis and his push for either more parking lot shading or um, there's covering. There is uh, like a paint covering you can put over the parking lot that would reflect more light. So I think a condition of approval should be either 50% shading um, in 15 years or have a paint, have a reflective surface on the parking lot. Um, 
all of the waivers for setbacks, I understand you're stuck with them. But I would tell the applicant that this really doesn't improve the look of the project, having everything look shoehorned in, which it will. Um, I understand the need to have more housing, especially affordable housing, but there's a difference between affordable housing and below market rents. And I haven't I haven't heard anything about below market here, only affordable. And I have to ask affordable for whom? When the village master plan was first presented to us some years ago, this wasn't what it looked like. It was very different conceptually. So I'm rather, rather disappointed many aspects of this. And I hope that the Planning Commission will listen to what my neighbors have said. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Sherry L. Hello, my name is Sherry Lantvine. And first, I have a general comment and then probably specific. Um, I am concerned with all the building going on in Sunnyvale, the impact on traffic congestion, our infrastructure, water usage, and the quality of our life in our neighborhoods. I'm wondering uh, what the occupancy is on the El Camino and Pastorial project that has been in existence, I don't know, about a year. I would like to know the answer to that because it looks like there's a lot of building and I don't know if these units are desirable. So this particular project, I am concerned with the number and the extent of the waivers. Again, it looks like it's sacrificing the quality of life for residents and neighbors. Um, for instance, the issue with a grade level lower than the surrounding area. Um, let's see. The issue with height, the issue with um, shortening, reducing the front setback and the distance between the buildings. So I think there could be a noise issue within the townhouses. Um, are they going to be built with high quality insulation or is that going to be a problem for the owners? And I'm wondering if, in fact, people will what if it's desired and the pricing will be right. Um, OK, six. Um, OK, so those are pretty much my concerns. And I hope the planning department in the city puts the quality of life for its residents and neighbors number one. And yes, we need housing, we need it locally, but more cohesive planning around that and quality of life issues to make it, um, to make them um, the appropriate quality that we need in our neighborhoods. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Ann Yedlowski. Hi. Um, I live across the street behind the behind the shopping center across the street, and I'm actually happy to see this slightly higher density housing in our area. Uh, I have many coworkers 
who have long commutes, and I'd like them to have the opportunity to live as close to our office as I do. It sounds like the developer has worked hard to minimize the impact on the neighbors, and I think we should support that. Uh, one question I have is, how does the square footage in the office building compare to the current square footage and occupancy? Um, another question, you know, I commute to work by bike, but I drive my car to the dentist because of the inconvenience of carrying a large lock and chain to lock my bike at an outdoor rack. So is there a plan for any secure bike parking, like bike lockers or a bike check in the office building? Um, and then also I agree with Commissioner Cerrone's concerns about the distance to trash. Uh, I'd just like to encourage the developers to consider finding a way to address that because that does seem like a really long way to carry out your trash. Um, and then finally, in my experience, compact spaces are problematic for parking because people park large cars in every other space and then half the spaces are unusable. So I think it might make sense to sacrifice a couple of the spaces and just make them regular full-size spaces. And that's all. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Nithya Pumins. I think Nithya might have dropped off the call. So I'll go ahead and move on to Colleen Hausler. And if Nithya raises her hand again, I'll go ahead and allow her this, the floor to speak. Thank you, honorable commissioners and fellow neighbors. My name is Colleen Hausler. I've lived in um, close to this project for over 20 years, speaking in favor of the project. I live within 1300 feet as the crow flies of the project. And I travel and peruse the commercial businesses traveling by car and bicycle in this area often. I applaud the owners for providing additional much needed housing and for providing individually owned units, which can help individuals gain wealth rather than just another old apartment building where the wealth goes to the more generally to the owners. I applaud the owners for um, having uh, going above and beyond some of the uh, Sunnyvale prerequisites. Unfortunately, um, there are some things uh, such as a narrower sidewalk setback that is kind of hard to deal with, but I understand that um, it's a state, that it's a um, trade-off. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next, I'll go ahead and call on Nithya Pumins. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so I am a, a resident of Sunnyvale for 20 years. I live in the Eichlers right behind where this complex is being built. And I walk on these roads very often. I have two large dogs and I'm walking over there. And I had the biggest concern about the traffic and how some of the houses have their driveways opening onto, I believe, Fremont. Now, none of the houses all along Fremont between Wolf 
and all the way to the Highway 85 have driveways cars coming out onto that street. To me, that poses a hazard for the traffic. There is a busy traffic. And having 350 cars coming in and out of that corner every single day, I'm also a parent of a high school student. I would be scared of letting my daughter go on the bike. And that means I'm going to start driving and that's going to cause additional car uh, on the roads. And I don't know if the environmental impact of many parents who start to develop this apprehension about putting their kids in front of these 350 additional cars is being considered. I understand the need for additional housing in our community. And my proposal would be to look holistically at all the four corners and come up with a plan by the city that addresses everything instead of doing piecemeal and providing concessions like reducing the space for this project between the housing from 29 feet requirement to 13.5, because then that sets the precedent for future housing development. And then we will have an extremely congested neighborhood and certainly not conducive, given that we have two schools within walking and biking distance to this particular crossing. And in fact, three, the Fremont High School kids also often walk down to the Starbucks and the eating places here. That's all I have to say. Thanks. Thank you. And you have a question question from Commissioner Commissioner Davis. Davis. Uh, This is actually for staff. Um, If I understood correctly, all of the driveways open into the interior of the property. Is that correct? Uh, yes, they all the driveways open to the interior. We do have two driveway accesses, and one is from Fremont Avenue, and other is from South Mary Avenue. And that matches what is there right now. Is that correct? Um, so there is currently only one driveway access that's from South Mary Avenue. So the Fremont one is a new driveway approach. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We will proceed with public comment in the regular in the regular order. All right. Next up, we'll hear from Dr. Lakshmi Sudeep. Yes. Hi. Can you hear us? Hello. Uh, that's better. Thank. You. Please proceed. Yes. Uh, hi. Uh, so I am representing my wife Lakshmi Sudeep here. She's sitting next to me. We are one of the. She's one of the dentist tenants. Her lease expires in. December 2026. And since the owners are not providing any relocation in our last communication, they said that they have we have the right to stay here till the end of our lease, which is December 2026. So I again go back to one of the concerns I think Katya addressed is that if the construction starts in December 2025, how are we supposed to operate and earn a living? Um, and another thing is we had a special session with the uh, commissioners and they clearly stated that the passing of this proposal obviously does not absolve the owner of uh, not respecting the lease. So they still have to respect the lease of the tenant. So the first concern is if the construction starts, what happens to us? Also, the, my last point is if I find an alternative location, The owner actually talked about discussing a reasonable termination fee, which means we are supposed to pay him a termination fee in order to move out, even though all this has started because they are doing a reconstruction. So we are kind of in a bind. So I do ask the commission to make sure that the construction does not start till the leases of the tenants here have expired. That's all I had. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. And we have no further hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you. Okay, uh, we will now go back to the applicant who has uh, three minutes and 21 seconds remaining to address the Planning Commission. You can use this time to respond to previous public comments or make any other closing remarks. Thank you. So um, there's just a few comments I wanted to um, respond to or and correct. Um, we do have bike lockers inside the office, and we also have uh, bicycle racks in five different locations throughout the site. Um, uh, the the um, 14 homes that are affordable, someone asked affordable to whom, it's pursuant to the city's code, which for ownership housing is for moderate income home, uh, moderate income earners here in um, Santa Clara County. Um, uh, we do have one driveway off of Fremont and one off of Mary, and that is the currently existing condition as well. Um, this property owner does not own the other three corners of this street intersection. And in terms of noise, I did want to address that and say that um, we do have two conditions of approval that are very specific to noise. Um, that the project will not only meet the city's municipal code as it relates to uh, sound, uh, which is very explicit and very uh, objective. But then we also have to show our building plans, uh, um, all the mechanical equipment and the cumulative noise from the air condenser units. Uh, we have to provide documentation to show that they meet the city's code. That's one of the conditions, BP7. And then PF9 requires post-construction testing to demonstrate that the noise meets the city's noise criteria. So staff has that very well covered, I would say. Um, and then I guess I just, in closing, also just wanna say that it is a balancing act. Uh, we're delivering housing uh, in this village uh, residential format. And when the city came up with the general plan for the village residential, uh, that was you know 2017. And here we are in 2023, um, the code hasn't been updated to match it. So basically staff is look comparing at our office relative to the office designation and the residential against the R3 designation, neither one of which, which really fits the mixed use type of slightly higher intensity type of project that this is. But we believe we've done uh, a, a fair uh, job in terms of working with the neighbors and the community to listen to their concerns, addressing um, uh, the impacts and minimizing them to the degree that we can. Um, and we are delivering, you know, the housing, the office, uh, it's a need in the community um, and, and doing it in a way that's very sustainable, walkable, uh, and we hope that you'll support the project. I'm happy to answer additional questions if you have. Thank you. And you have a question from Commissioner Howe. Yeah, just briefly, there's been a lot of discussion tonight about that fence on the north side. What are the steps that you basically are planning to go through before starting the, that construction? So after this, um, if the project's approved, um, there's a whole phase that typically takes about a year. And in this case, it may take even longer just because we do have uh, tenants that we have to also uh, respect in terms of when the 
uh, they terminate and and um, but the process is to do the building construction plans and the improvement plans. And during that stage, uh, we'll work with the, uh, the neighbors to finalize. I mean, we have to hire a structural engineer to design the retaining wall. It's the first order of business. And then the fence that we've committed to is the latest that I understand the community likes, which is the six-foot solid, two-foot lattice. That's the latest. It started out with eight foot solid, but for the reasons mentioned before, I can understand why maybe they want to go with six foot and, and two foot lattice. Um, but in terms of what exactly the foundation type is, whether it's posts or piers or continuous foundation that bridges over, that's when we have the structural engineer Actual on board. The construction part is not what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. It's how are you going to phase it in with the homeowners? The construction of it? Yep. Oh, okay. The construction. Um, well, I mean, how you choose to construct it. Yeah, certainly not for me to bring up. But how you the first the first um, speaker tonight said that he has a unique situation in his opinion, and he well could lose some trees, right? He wants to know what he can do together with you and the city staff to be able to mitigate some of those issues. So. What is your plan to turn around and work with those neighbors so that their individual plans would be able to be at least somewhat custom tailored without impacting the construction of the project? So, you know, obviously we have we have a fence to uh, design and put in and, uh, you know, we'll try to work with the neighbors to come up with a solution that pleases you know, let's say the majority of them, because we do have 12 different fence line neighbors. So I, you know, we're not going to be able to do probably like an individual for all 12. Um, so that's why we've had meetings with um, the two neighbors who are most engaged, uh, Mark Pigalotti and Bruce Terrace, where we've sat down and talked about the design uh, in great detail. Um, and, and in terms of how it gets constructed, I mean, it has to be done obviously very carefully because uh, people have pets and, you know, taking the fence down and then building it. But I mean, I'll say like we've been in the backyard also of Mark and, and Bruce looked at their trees. We bought our arborist there um, to to assess the situation. And, you know, everybody does have, you know, trees and and some people also hardscape right up to the fence line. So it has to be done very carefully but as i said um like the foundation for example there was a question earlier from mark about you know is the foundation going to encroach into his side of the property and as i said earlier uh it will not i wanted to go on record and say that because it can be designed that way and it just means you just move it in just a little bit so that t let it's if it's t foundation doesn't go under his land so we're trying to work with them and you know, design it in a way that minimizes the impacts to them. And we'll continue to do that. Thank you. One of the other questions is, is somebody brought up that the noise ordinance when this project was submitted was 45. And I'm not saying that's true. I don't know. But if it is 45, do you believe that 45 decibels at the property line? Do you believe that that would be the standard for this one? So we saw that comment come um, this afternoon through Ashta, and uh, I sent it to our um, acoustic consultant. And he, uh, if I can, like, let me pull up my email, if that's sure. okay. 
And, and we sent this response also to city staff, but there's been a lot of, you know, activity. So I just want to read to you what he said. Um, you know, thank you for sharing the concerns. Um, you know, the city's municipal code limits cumulative noise from these units to 75 dBA at the subject's property line and to 60 dBA or 55, 60 during the day, 55 at night at the adjacent offsite residential properties during the day or night. Uh, this implies that neighboring offsite residents will not be exposed to noise levels exceeding 60 dBA during the day or 55 dBA during the night from air conditioning units associated with the project while in their yards. Um, and then he goes on to quote the two conditions of approval that we have that I mentioned a little bit, that, that there is a whole process where the city reviews the proposed air conditioner condenser unit and its specification sheet to ensure that it will meet that criteria. And then to verify it, we also have a condition whereby we have to do a post-construction testing of the sound to demonstrate the noise from the condensing units meets the city's municipal code. So those are the steps we, we take. Okay. Uh, Chair, with your permission, a question of staff. Go right ahead. There's been some discussion here on decibels and the noise ordinance and what applies because they got some waivers, et cetera, based on 2021 submittal, including freezing of the um, fees. Has the noise ordinance changed in Sunnyvale between 2001 and today? 2021 and, and today or? Yeah, when this was submitted, Yes. And which one would you use if it was different between 21 and 2023? Right. So it just got changed recently, but this project is subject to the noise ordinance before. So that's uh, basically noise levels at the property line is limited to 50 decibels during the nighttime and then 60 during the daytime hours on the property line. And that's what you're going to test for? Yes. On those two conditions of approval? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Davis. Thank you, Chair. Um, obviously, lots of concern about the fence, uh, specifically the retaining wall. Uh, thanks for confirming that the footing um, will actually be entirely on the applicant's property. Um, so kind of de facto, you're, you're kind of seating probably 12 to 18 inches uh, to your neighbors of, of usable space, right? Um, because that's how they work, they're, they're tees. Um, I just have a comment uh, about fences in general. My back neighbor is a non-residential neighbor. It's a Cal Water. There's a wellhead behind my house and so on. And uh, they put up a fence uh, many years ago and the lattice doesn't matter. What matters more is that the solid part matches everybody else's fence. Um, the fence that they put up does not does not match uh, the rest of the fences in the neighborhood with the overlapping design that's so common in, in Sunnyvale. Um, um, so I would just say, um, maybe for the residents, that's probably what you should focus on more uh, rather than the lattice. Um, and um, I would hope that the uh, uh, that the property owners uh, would take that into consideration as well. Um, not really a question, just a, a little point. Yeah. And I'll say that, you know, we had shown the eight foot solid just because it is, you know, higher and 
also because this this wood fence, which is proposed to be overlapping for sound attenuation reasons as well. Mm -hmm. um, and those are like the high quality types of good neighbor fences where it's actually overlapping. Um, so that is why we propose the eight. But, you know, if you want to keep it flexible, you can say eight foot solid or six foot and plus two foot lattice, you know, and then it could be decided later. But I'm saying we're open to either one of those. Thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, thank you, Chair. I just uh, had a quick question about, could you clarify, um, uh, based on, I think it was the last caller, uh, how you're handling the uh, the tenants and their leases? Uh, um, it was a little unclear whether, like the, an existing tenant with a 2026 lease expiration would be able to continue to operate there or or not? Do you have tenants whose leases are later than that? How how does that uh, how will you be handling? That? I believe that's the latest, but I'd like to have um, Cynthia uh, come up and address that um, on behalf of the property owners. Oh, sure, sure, go ahead. The the leases are by are are a legal document, and so we have to abide by the lease that's in place. Absolutely. So is 2026 the latest lease that's? No, the, the, there's one that goes past that to 2030. Well, but they'll be evicted, right? When you tear down the building. Well, we can't get a, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, staff, but I don't think we can get a building permit if, if there's a lease in place. So, I mean, we can't tear down a building under underneath a tenant. And we're not that kind of a, a landlord. I mean, we, we, we respect our tenants and we want to work with them. Could you, sorry, could you please state your name for the record? Uh, Jordan Christensen. Thank you. Sorry. Well, so, so how will you be handling that? Will you buy them out or something? Uh, uh... Possibly. We're, we're working with the tenants on an individual case basis. But you're saying no one will be uh, forced out without. Uh... No, we can't, we can't evict and evict anyone in a forceful manner. Okay. All right, thank you. Uh, so I had a question to staff basically prompted by that response. Uh, what's the deadline for, a, well, I mean, and I mean, I know this is, I know it's more complicated than this, but like what would be the deadline for, I wanna say start construction, but at least get everything in order to start construction from if we were to approve this tonight and it wasn't appealed or further action basically what would be the deadline for things to get going um so the planning permit will expire in two years unless it's exercised and by exercise we mean that they need to have at least the foundation walls in place or you know the tentative map should be final so one of these things so uh, it's only valid for two years, but they can also request an additional one-year extension. And would that one-year extension be at staff level or would that require a public hearing? It would be at staff level with a staff level planning permit. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have no, I do not believe there are any further questions for the applicant. Uh, so I will thank go, you. so I will go ahead and close the public hearing. And I will now ask for discussion or for a motion for my colleagues, but I am actually going to kick things off by uh, 
asking a question to staff uh, that's kind of a broader scope question, but I wanted to actually get this here well, because I think it is something members of the public here should know. And that is, a, could staff comment on what the next steps are going to be regarding the Village Center Master Plan process? Uh, for anybody that was not aware, there was actually a City Council study session on this uh, last Tuesday, but staff, could you tell us what's going to come next? Sure. Um, we're just working through the process right now. Um, we, as you mentioned, we took it to council for a study session. So we're looking at all seven village centers. Um, we have a website. Uh, if you just do a search on the city's website for village center master plan, um, you can keep updates or get updated information there. Um, but we're working on um, permitted uses right now, then working with the consultant on um, master plan design and then doing more outreach at that point. And then we'll be coming back through through the public, um, public uh, approval process. Thank you. And so to members of the public that were interested in kind of the next legislative steps on what could happen to other village center sites, that's stay involved. Uh, I don't see any other commissioner hands right now, so I'm going to keep asking. Well, so I'm going to ask one more question and then recognize another commissioner. Uh, there was a discussion about, uh, there was a question about, uh, there was uh, the the affordable units were described as a moderate income. Could staff could staff elaborate on what that actually is in Sunnyvale? Yeah, so, yeah. so it, it is for the moderate income households and there are thresholds like, you know, um, that are identified for that income level and it's based on number of um, people in the household and the income level. So it's it's a standard and it's it's for the moderate income household for the ownership. Units. Right. But could staff elaborate on what that actually is in terms of like annual income? Um, so I think it's something which is adopted. Um, and uh, let me... yeah, like I know I've seen these numbers in like the housing element or something, but I don't have that in yeah. front of me at the moment. Um, so we have, yeah, we, we have income level, for example, for... Um, yeah, we are just looking at that document right now. So for moderate income households, uh, if it's one resident, the income level is $152,000 per year. Or say if it's a four, um, you know, uh, people in the household, then it's around $217,000 per year. Yeah. In, in other words, it's 120% of the area median income uh, for Santa Clara County. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Davis. Yes, uh, I, I want to commend the applicants, uh, first of all. I'll, I'll say, um, and for the members of the public, thank you all for coming and giving your comments. Um, maybe you're not quite as aware, but the, the state has really limited the power of cities to deny housing applications now right there's there's sb 330 there's the bill we are in the builder's remedy um, i brought that up earlier um, the developer would be completely within their rights to withdraw the application and propose the largest skyscraper in california as long as it was 20 percent inclusive and the city would not be able to deny it um, we are in the midst of an epic housing crisis and our legislators, our government in Sacramento is starting to get serious about combating it. Um, 
we have a developer here who has reached out to the community, um, has met with people uh, many, many times. Um, they've come to Livable Sunnyvale. Um, they've, I, I can't think of a developer being more good faith in their operations so far. Um, I've seen a few of these, um, kind of what got me involved in Sunnyvale uh, government as a whole was the Butcher's Corner development um, further down Fremont Avenue. What we saw there was a developer propose something like 200% of the zoning, and then at the very last minute uh, came down to what zoning allowed and acted like we should all do him a favor for actually complying with most of the rules. Uh, we don't see that at all here. Uh, we see we see a developer who is passing up the opportunity to build six more units than they're allowed. Um, this is at least uh, one would have to be a, one would have to be affordable, um, but this is probably eight to ten million dollars off the top line that they're just giving up. Um, they're they're widening sidewalks, um, and the fact that they've been so receptive to everyone and talk to all of you really says something about them. Um, when we talk about, uh, we've heard comments that basically the village centers as a concept should not exist because we're a suburban town and so on. Um, the state does not allow that anymore. Um, if we do away with village centers now, um, actually, I don't think state law would allow us to do away with village centers at this point. Um, you can't down zone anymore in California. Um, these are, this is the situation that we are in. Um, also, as a planning commission, um, we have very limited discretion. Um, and frankly, discretionary review is probably going to be done away with almost entirely within the next two or three years. Um, and there are very, very strong arguments that discretionary review is not in concordance with the concept of the rule of law. Um, this family, they own the property. Um, they have, there's a very strong argument to say they have a right to develop it as long as they follow the rules. And we can't make up the rules as we go. Um, and if we try to change the rules and make them more restrictive and take away what they can do with their property, then they can sue us. They can sue the city. And, um, you know, we would be really not following our duty if we expose the city to that kind of, of liability. Um, yeah, the, the number of changes that they've made, um, I've followed this since at least May of last year. And so on the number of changes that they've made is really, really significant. Um, they're building more parking than is necessary, which is, um, I, I kind of expected the um, some of the YIMBY groups to withhold their endorsement of this because they are building more parking than is necessary. I was a little bit surprised by this. Um, and then one final thing about privacy. Uh, because there is such a height differential and we have the six foot overhang on the Eichler homes, um, your lines of sight into your home is actually quite limited. Um, I started, I was just drawing it up on my whiteboard today. Um, it's, it, it's a geometry problem um, and, and so on. Um, uh, we do have good schools here, so I brought in one of my kids to validate my assumptions. <laughs> um, I can tell you, at, at least at Cupertino Middle School, uh, they're teaching the geometry students how to handle these, these calculations. Uh, I'm very happy with that. Uh, so uh, I think the privacy concerns are a bit overlaid, and the bigger height differential actually um, diminishes it 
as well. Um, so uh, maybe some of you haven't had to think about how you lob in artillery or grenades or so on, but those types of things really do matter uh, in terms of lines of sight. Um, since uh, Commissioner Diaz isn't here, or I'm sorry, uh, Iglesias is not, I think he's on his uh, reserve, his National Guard commitment this meeting. Uh, so I was just throw in a little army reference there. Uh, so I would say uh, I want to commend uh, the applicants for really engaging with the community in a very productive way um, in the Planning Commission. And also later when this goes before City Council, we have to balance the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. And so I should point out that uh, I, I looked at the property maps very, very closely. And um, Single-family homes, um, there are, I believe, five that actually have um, a shared boundary more than a foot. Um, it's a, it, Because it's a cul-de-sac, it's unusual in that you have property points, property lines coming together in a single point where you have uh, three property owners. Uh, but for people that have more than a foot, um, they've met with, they've offered to meet with everybody. But I'll say that the number of units that they have foregone is actually more than the number of people who have significant um, a property sh uh, line sharing with them. Um, and uh, that says a lot for how well they wanna fit into the neighborhood, I would say. And uh, I'll close my comments with that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Shukla. Um, yes, I, I I want to tag along with my fellow commissioner that the, the you know, the applicant has worked with all the neighbors and they have been in Sunnyvale operating and staying there for a long time. Uh, but I do want to bring out another point, which is like high density. Um, the Sunnyvale is not the same as it was before. And high density is not like enemy. Uh, if it's a if if it's a place at the right location and in the uh, and in the nice nicely designed way it could enhance and it could uh, work magic and that's the reason that that property that area is defined as a village center because that was envisioned by sunnyville that it it has potential to become high density area so i do agree that the the there is a transition between high density and then the single residence uh, residences, but they have worked, um, they have worked with privacy issues. And I think uh, we have to, um, the city has worked with them. They have worked with city. So they have also got waivers and then city. So they, city has worked with them at the same way they have worked with the neighbors. So it's like many, many advocates here to make Sunnyvale beautiful. So I would, I, I really think it's great that all the residents have come here to mention that, but I, um, so we all hear it, but we also have to um, accept the new Sunnyvale, which is, and Sunnyvale is getting all these awards. It's not based on the 20 years old of old Sunnyvale. It has been what's what has been happening in last five years that has affected the, the ranking of Sunnyvale. So I think, um, I just want to, uh, I think it's a, this is the project uh, which will be a, a model. I would say that because it's very unique, um, high density and also mixed use. So hopefully uh, we would like to see it, it happen because sometimes it takes long time to develop. And we want to make, a, uh, I mean, I would 
I believe that they will work with, based on the history of what they have been doing it for last two, three years, they will continue with the neighbors uh, 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 to work with the retaining wall. And we should uh, move forward and uh, approve this project. So I'm in support of the project. I just want to say that. Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Cerny. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, just a, as an overall comment, uh, as everyone has said, the uh, um, well, first of all, again, state law is specifically designed to uh, enable housing projects to be built because of the ongoing housing shortage, to enable housing projects to be built over the objections of the uh, residents and the uh, local government. Um, it's kind of a crude uh, uh, instrument, but uh, that 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 is the laws that we're uh, living under. Uh, this particular developer has gone out of their way to be a good neighbor, and of course, it's impossible with uh, a significant change like this not to have any impact on uh, any of the neighbors. But it is clear that this development is good for the. Uh, city as a whole, it might even uh, uh, rejuvenate some of the uh, retail on the other corners, uh, which uh, maintaining retail is a uh, an ongoing problem we have. And uh, so, and uh, people mentioned schools, the schools are losing students, which is creates an economic problem for them. Uh, so this potentially could add some more students and keep the uh, schools uh, healthy. Uh, I also think it's clear that if if we would reject this for some reason, that what we would end up with at that corner would be uh, something way worse that none of us would want to see. Uh, um, um, so uh, the only um, thing I might suggest, and we don't have a motion yet, right? That is correct. Uh, but if we could uh, add a, uh, you know, as part of the motion, add a condition of approval, which which simply um, summarizes what Katya said about her process of of um, uh, implementing the fence, that it will be done in. Uh, consultation with the number with the neighbors as they have done been doing uh, so just to put that in as a condition of a of approval um, that uh, that they, they will work with the neighbors to um, come up with a, uh, a fence or retaining wall that does not damage the trees so, I can second it if you if you are well, making the motion uh, with that addition in the condition. Um, Is Commissioner Sarney making a motion? I could make the motion, or if Commissioner Howe was preparing to make a motion, uh, Chair recognizes Commissioner Howe. Yeah, I'd be happy to make a motion, and um, I was going to do alternative number one, but now I'm going to do alternative number two. 
make the findings to approve the California Environmental Quality Act CEQA determination that the project is categorically exempt from further environmental review pursuant to CEQA section 15183.3 and appendices M and N of the state CEQA guidelines as noted in attachment five and approve the use permit and tentative map subject to the findings in attachment three and modified conditions of approval. If somebody will second it, Mr. Uh, Commissioner Throni, you'll be able to stick a friendly amendment in there. Uh, I want to take uh, Mr. Mention first. Uh, thank you, Chair Pine. Um, just a point of clarification, the commission should ask the applicant if they're amenable to that addition the, to the, the conditions. The chair will reopen the public hearing for the purpose of asking the applicant if they are amenable to the con proposed condition of approval. Thank you, Chair. Um, so given that we do have uh, 12 uh, fence line neighbors, uh, we, like I said, we are committed to fully working with them and trying to bring consensus. But given that there is 12, I guess our preference would be to word the condition something to the effect to saying um, that the final retaining wall and fence design uh, to be approved by community development uh, director. So that it's because what if, if there's an impasse and we're not going to go to mediation over, a it would be very challenging for a fence design. But I have to say, um, staff has done a very good job, in my humble opinion, in terms of, you know, listening to the neighbors, in addition to myself, um, and and crafting and asking us for things uh, also. And, and I know they'll continue to do that. How about one that says the applicant staff and the homeowners shall work together towards the fence with the staff having the final word. Sorry, Sorry there's a little sidebar with the attorneys. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Chair Pine. We've spent this much time for one <laughs> minor deal. We might as well spend the time to get it to where everybody likes it. You know, I, I think it would be best to try to make it as objective as possible to avoid disputes down the line. How about I'm all ears? <laughs> Andy got this more than once. <laughs> Sorry, one second, if that's okay. Give me one second. I can come up with one, Commissioner Howe. You're going to pull an Andy on us? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Uh, everybody's trying to be creative. Um, so our land use attorney is recommending something to the effect that we would agree to two uh, meetings with the neighbors, all of them inviting the fence line neighbors and um, you know, discussing the design, trying to come to a consensus. And then, uh, you know, if we can't, then it would be at the community development director approval. Did you say two meetings? Yeah. 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 
Commissioner Cerrone, is that acceptable to you? That is to me. Uh, city you got the wording on that? <laughs> yes, we can um, add that language to condition of approval BP14, which talks about minimizing impacts to the neighboring trees. There you go. It talks about the retaining wall, so we can deal Would with staff that. Would staff have uh, the Director of Community Development having the final say? Correct. There you go. We'll add that. Thank you. That'll be my motion. Thank you. I will close the public hearing. Thank you. Uh, uh, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Cerny, did you second that? Um, yes. Okay, Commissioner Howe, to your motion. Sure, everybody's talked about how well this group has worked together. And I can tell you from uh, personal experience, there was one of the corners at another, um, one of these corners and two projects came up and I've had 23 years either being on the planning commission or on the city council and then back on the planning commission. And those two projects, in my personal opinion, were the worst ones that were ever approved in Sunnyvale. And so this one is substantially better. I would much rather have this one closer to my house than the two that I'm going to have closer to my house. Absolutely the worst in 23 years. This is one of the best in 23 years. The applicant has worked with all of the people involved, is willing to go down to individual houses. As one of the commissioners said, they're not, they're losing probably $8 million by not putting more in. And they have worked with one of my questions of that northeast one, 63 foot between those two. And to do it, they had to go into compact parking spaces, which I thought was sort of unique too. I don't like compact parking spaces, but I don't like people having to live in a building that the compact parking spaces in, increases the buffer between the two. So I think it's an excellent project over all in all and how they have worked, how the, the neighbors and the applicant has worked together makes me proud as an individual. I only got one more year here and then I'm term limited and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Mr. Um, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Menchman, did you have something? Okay, Commissioner Davis. Yes, so I will be supporting the motion. Um, once again, I think the applicant has really gone above and beyond in reaching out uh, to the community, working with the neighbors. Um, I, I can't fault them uh, at all for how they've approached this. Uh, I understand the concerns uh, really personally. Um, I did not want, I think the fence that was built in my backyard was nine feet tall or something like that. It, I can't reach the top of it. and. Uh, I'm not a short person. <laughs> and uh, and I've lived with it for 10 years now, and I can't say my quality of life has decreased uh, one bit. Um, so um, I would say don't be afraid of your neighbors. Um, and also the majority of people in Sunnyvale do not live in single family homes. Um, the simple math is that most of the people live in multifamily housing. Most of the people in Sunnyvale are renters, and we're getting these incredibly high ratings with that happening. Um, 
it's not a good argument to make that Sunnyvale is great because we have all these single family homes. Um, that's a very exclusionary argument that just doesn't agree with the facts. Most of the people in Sunnyvale do not live in single family homes. It may be that most of the people in South Sunnyvale do not live in single family homes. Um, something like 30% of the students at Stockholmeyer Elementary live in multifamily housing. Um, the, um, I, sorry, I chaired the redistricting commission, so I do know the city census tract by census tract. And um, another example would be the area between Sunnyvale, Saratoga, and uh, not Remington, um, Pastor. Uh, yeah, it's Pastoria there. All right, I'm sorry. Hollenbeck, sorry. It changes names every block, it seems like. Um, the neighborhood um, around Nimitz Elementary is actually majority multifamily housing as well. Um, the majority of people in the city um, do not live in 8,000 square foot lots with, with four bedrooms. And Sunnyvale is great, not in spite of them. Um, they're a big part of why we're great and why we have such a high quality of life. And so I would urge everybody um, to embrace that. Uh, the future is more dense. The climate requires it. Um, we need to get out of our cars. And we all, many of us talked about raising our children in Sunnyvale. Um, I would personally like to see my grandchildren raised in Sunnyvale as well. And that's not going to happen unless we start building a lot more housing. Uh, so once again, I will be supporting the the motion. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shukla. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'll be support. I'll be supporting the motion too. Um, I think I'm not going to repeat what everybody else said about the applicant and um, about the needs of housing. Um, and also I did talk about density, but I also want to talk about um, the design. This project has um, accommodated 114 units of residents and offices in that small little lot. And it doesn't look, I mean, they have, they had waivers, but they, it, it comes across very fine design. It doesn't look um, uh, uh, the, the sacrificing quality of um, Sunnyvale, um, uh, the life or the quality of, you know, the when the buildings are just stacked up and then they look like apartment tall buildings without any care for uh, enough windows, enough balconies. I mean, this project is like, I would, uh, as a, I live very close by and I have, a, I appreciate this kind of uh, variety of housing. And because um, I just, I think it's such a, it improves the quality of life when the people, when the kids from single family home uh, also interact with the people from multi-family housing units. And uh, it's uh, just, it's just amazing opportunity from different income level, different housing groups, they interact with each other. So I think it's a great project. So I will be supporting this project. Thank you. And I'll be supporting the motion. Uh, my colleagues have said almost everything that needs to be said. So I'll just make a few a few additional comments. I, I'm in broad agreement with what my colleagues have said. This is 
a this is a quality project. It's in it's in an area of Sunnyvale that honestly does does need the does need more homes. We've focused a lot of our building recently in North Sunnyvale, and as a North Sunnyvale resident, I'm more than happy to welcome all of my new neighbors. I it is important just from an equity perspective that we build housing throughout the city and not just concentrate in a few areas. And this does provide much needed additional housing, much needed home ownership opportunities in South Sunnyvale. Uh, we dis we discuss uh there was some reference in the public from public comments to traffic this is addressed in in the report this is there was some discussion of this in attachment 8 i do think that i i do have to admit this isn't that great of an area for transit right now the 53 bus is not something i would want to depend on it doesn't have weekend service it has half hour headways Hopefully that will change in the future. So uh, go the VTA is do VTA is doing their visionary network. So I didn't. So I know I'll be yelling at them to increase certain north south service in Sunnyvale, and I'd encourage everybody else to do the same. Uh, I can. Uh, so legally speaking, there's some findings we need to make. Uh, I can make the sequel findings regarding. That's this is categorically exempt infill development. I can make the findings for the use permit and the tentative map findings. This does this furthers the purpose of the general plan. This is as as we've noted previously. This is village center zoned under state law. Technically speaking, we could actually don't downzone it as long as we increase the zoning somewhere else. The law the law requires no net downzoning. However, this is not an area where. However, this area is not. This village center is corner is not an area I would want to downzone. I'd want to make like I do think it's important going forward that we maintain retail uses nearby. The, one of the reasons that this is a that this is a great project is that we are building all these new homes that are where you can just walk across the street to the grocery store. You can just you hope if you can walk, we can hopefully just walk in the same development to professionals, to medical services, to dental services when when it's built out. I I don't want. I'm glad that we're keep that. I'm glad that we're keeping the medical and dental use on this facility. I hope we keep the retail uses in, in the nearby corners. But to some extent, that is a question for future projects and future legislation. I, as I've said, I can make all the findings. I think this will be an asset to the neighborhood. It has a quality design. The applicant has, and the applicant has been very responsive to to neighborhood concerns. I. I can make the. We have confirmation. We have we have reports from all of the arborists that the tree damage is is mitigatable, and I do hope the applicant works with neighbors to make sure that the tree damage is can be mitigated. I don't I don't want to I don't want to lose the neighbors' trees. I know the neighbors don't want to lose their trees. I I'm hope I'm hopeful and confident that 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 together we will that together as this project moves forward. Uh, an equitable solution will be found. With that, uh, city staff, uh, please conduct please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner Howe? Yes. Chair Pine? Yes. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. Commissioner Cerrone? Yes. The motion passes with five yeses and Vice Chair Glossius and Commissioner Howard absent. Thank you. Uh, Planning Officer, what is the fate of this project? Uh, the decision is final unless it's appealed within 15 days. Thank you. And thank you to everybody that came out to tonight's hearing.
Uh, so uh, that brings us to standing item consideration of potential study issues. Uh, and that, we have that on. There's one proposed study issue. Uh, uh, that brings us to non agenda items and comments. Uh, are there commissioner comments? Uh, Commissioner Howe? Okay, seeing none. Uh, staff comments, planning officer, do you have any non-agenda items or comments? Mike. Good evening, commissioners. Just a couple items. Um, on August 8th, uh, we'll be having an appeal of the project at 148-156 uh, Crescent Avenue. That was a townhouse development that just went to planning commission not to. Uh, sorry, okay. sorry, I believe that's all. Sorry, which date? You said August 8th. Uh, I did say August 8th. Today's August 14th. Um, I think it's September 8th. <laughs> That's probably what it is. Um, and then there'll be a joint uh, meeting with the city council and uh, chair, uh, boards and commission chairs and vice chairs on Tuesday, November 14th. Getting feedback tonight. And then um, had a last question for the commissioners, actually, and if we could maybe just get a, a raise of hands, if uh, any of the other commissioners would be open to doing electronic packets instead of paper packets, just to save on some paper. And it's okay if you don't, I'm not judging. <laughs> I, I like marking it up. What's that? I like, I like marking it up. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. I'm technically challenged, so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. That's it. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ms. Sharma? Oh, I just wanted to confirm that it's August 29th for that Crescent appeal. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I will I will be there to represent the planning commission. Uh, with that, uh, that brings us to adjournment. This meeting of the Centennial Planning Commission is adjourned at 1028 p.m. And I want to thank everyone for your participation in tonight's meeting. <laughs>